Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you hit that subscribe button, and I hope you're digging what we're doing here. Lord knows I've been digging what I've been doing lately, including getting all these new five-star reviews for helping people do what I love the most. No, not talking about old wrestling, but that's second. I'm talking about helping families just like yours save tens of thousands of dollars at SaveWithConrad.com. Is what we're talking about. We would love to help you save some cash right now. If you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, there's never been a better time to save money than right now. Just passed my 19 year anniversary in the mortgage business. And I've never been able to offer rates as low as I can right now. I've also never been licensed in as many States. If you can hear my voice, there's a good chance I'm licensed in your state and it's free to find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com. And how's this for starters? No house payments for two months, but don't take my word for it. Just ask Joseph in Alexandria, Virginia. He gave us a five-star review and said, fantastic service, great attention to detail, simple and easy process. How about over in Perryton, Texas, Jarrell says Conrad, David, and Jennifer were complete professionals. And I had recommended them already to a couple. I couldn't put them over more. If I tried, thank you again for helping us out in a major way. I won't forget it. What about up in Gallatin, Texas? William gave us a five star and he says, Jimmy did a fine job keeping me informed, working through a couple of unique things involving our original loan. Would be sure to recommend this fine team to anyone. How about Christina moving down from New York City? Yep, she wrote, as first time home buyers coming from out of state, naturally, this is a very stressful process, but Save with Conrad was a blessing. The entire team is helpful, courteous, and just made the entire experience so much easier and more pleasant than it could have been. I can't thank Save with Conrad enough. Thank you for everything you've done for my family. The reviews keep on coming, guys. Five-star reviews, one after another. You're going to save a boatload of cash if you're in a 30-year loan. We're going to show you how to pay your house off faster and with cheaper monthly payments. Maybe you've been throwing your money away on rent. You don't need a huge down payment or perfect credit to buy a house. We can help you make it happen right now. And maybe best of all, if you've got credit card debt, I can save you five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention interest rates in the twos? Can't believe that's real, but just last week we locked a bunch of new loans with interest rates in the twos. My only advice to you is hurry. Barry Habib is the foremost expert on interest rates. You've probably seen him on every cable news service. Just last week, he advised that we're on borrowed time with these rates. The time to act is now. Get ahead of this. You're going to be kicking yourself. You missed this once in a lifetime opportunity. Keep more of your own money. Go to savewithconrad.com right now before it's too late. There's no better time to say I love you. And the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say, I hate stevensinger.com and you've heard us rave about his famous roses, but Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step. Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection. 
That's no hassle, no risk. Expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home, it's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Welcome to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooed it. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, 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 was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Ah, Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Well, kind of today. We've got something very, very special for you today. We're going to be doing a little bonus action from Saturday night's main event. And you would have gotten this show gosh, months ago over on adfreeshows.com. We're calling an audible today. It's uh, basically hell week in WWE. Uh, you can find that whenever there's a raw, a SmackDown, a pay-per-view, and then another raw right away. Lots of moving parts with our old pal, Bruce, as you know, by now from all the rumor and innuendo you've read online, he's sleepy, tired, and stressed. So today we're uh, going to have to pump the brakes on our original plan, but we will get to it. We're going to be talking about Rick, the model Martel very, very soon. Believe it or not, we've already got 17 pages in my notes. And Lord knows we didn't do all that for nothing. So stay tuned. We will have that one coming up your way. Uh, Bruce is supposed to be back in town on Tuesday. So you might just get a little random drop one day next week, but today we've got a double header for you. First of all, we're going to do a watch along from April 28th, 1990. It's Saturday night's main event. It's the first one right after WrestleMania six, of course, Hulk Hogan's in action, uh, ultimate warriors in action. There's so many fun things on this, including some vignettes from Rick, the model Martel. 
So stay tuned for that. You would have gotten this show, gosh, back in like April, I guess, over at adfreeshows.com. But I got to tell you, the real main event is in the second half of today's show. I can't believe this is real, but we're going to finally re- release Eric Fires Back Volume 1. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is something you wrestle. I don't want to hear about Eric Bischoff. I'm just telling you, uh, this, this series, Eric Fires Back, is our most favorited thing over at adfreeshows.com. I've got some clips pulled for Bruce Pritchard. I'm hoping that we get to record one with him real soon. The gist is we play old clips from shoot interviews, try to give credit to, uh, whatever the original product or service was, and then let Eric respond. And, uh, well, he doesn't hold back and people are digging it again. Both of these pieces of content belong over at adfreeshows.com. We're calling it an audible this week and uh, giving you two pieces of content back to back. Again, you can get all of these and a lot more. Going to get all these regular shows early and ad free. You also get notes to the shows, lots of uh, behind the scenes footage, some footage from live shows, all the great star casts, but some really great interactive bonus experiences. Uh, just this past week, Eric Bischoff did a Zoom with fans and uh, sort of had a, a bit of a chat about the good old days of professional wrestling. And of course, we've done lots of Q and A's with uh, Arn Anderson and Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross and bonus episodes and. So much good stuff. Check it out for yourself. It's adfreeshows.com. So without further ado, let's get to it. Man, this is going to be fun. April 28th, 1990, Saturday night's main event. I think you should do a watch along with us. It's not a long show for part one. We'll be back before we throw to Eric fires back. So without further ado, here it is an exclusive from adfreeshows.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard, a little bonus action, Bruce. Today, we're finally watching Saturday night's main event from April 28th, 1990. It's been 30 years, my friend, and I'm excited to finally get to watch this one with you. Why the hell are we doing it so late, Conrad? I hate you. Why? I'm allowed to hate you. No, I mean, you know, I've been on you. And I said, hey, we need to sip some Padron. And and it's always, oh, I got to do Eric. Oh, I got to do Tony. Yeah. Oh, man, man, man. And, and, and oh, I've got to do um, you motherfucker. Uh, Survivor. You mo- Survivor. Eat, eat shit. All right, we're here. We're, we're going to make it happen. We're doing it's it about walk. time. I've been ready. I hate you so much. We're going to do it uh, watch along style. Fire. I sit here at night, like about seven from doing nothing for hours on end. And I call you and you say, I'm busy. I got to do, I got to do other things. And I said, I just want to drink some Padron and watch Saturday night's main event. Should I shut up now? All right, Bruce, let's run a timeout right now because I've got a question for you. If you're like most people, you have a balance on your credit cards and a higher rate of interest than you'd like. Why not turn those balances into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate and start saving money. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. The rate is fixed, so it will never go up over the life of the loan. The application is 100% online, so you don't even have to leave your house to apply. 
You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are absolutely no fees. You can even get your funds as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. But don't take my word for it. Check out this testimonial. I heard about Lightstream on a podcast and was able to look on the website and get clear information. The application process was quick and easy. How about this one? Heard a commercial, checked into a consolidation loan, and just a few hours later had my approval and the funds were ready to be transferred. Awesome. And right now our listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash wrestle. Of course, this is subject to credit approval. The rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com forward slash wrestle for more information. That's lightstream.com forward slash wrestle. You want to do the countdown? Okay, everybody, here we go. In three, two, one, play. Track it. At WrestleMania 6, I met the ultimate challenge in Hulk Hogan. But I will not be one to follow in Hulk Hogan's footsteps. For I will walk where no man has never been. Neither you, Bobby Heenan, nor you, Haku, will prevent me in reaching the outer limits as I fulfill the ultimate destiny! Destiny? Let me tell you about destiny. Yes, Ultimate Warrior, you made history at WrestleMania. But this man is going to make history right here in Texas because he's going to become the World Wrestling Federation champion. So you bring it on, pal, as only you can bring it on. Because when it's all over and done with, he is going to be the World Wrestling Federation champion. And you know what you're going to be? You're just going to be another lonesome cowboy. Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania, I guess everybody learned what I've already known, that you're not perfect. So tonight, you're going back to school as I prove once again, you're still not perfect, but I am. And with the genius in your corner, Hulk Hogan, you'll be part of the lesson. Let me make this perfectly clear. Tonight, Professor Hogan is going to be doing a lot of teaching, dude. And when the course is over and you fail miserably, genius, you're going to the Dunson's Corner, dude. Mr. Perfect, you're going to the principal's office. And what you going to do when Professor Hogan knocks some sense into you? Is there a better theme in the history of wrestling than that one? Absolutely not. And you know, here's what's crazy, man. It's like these days, uh, you get to go in and you put go on the network and I've watched just about every Saturday night's main event that there has been by God. Takes you back to old times. Good, good shit. I fucking love the theme track it. a new era here in the WWF. We're on the heels of WrestleMania six. Hulk Hogan is no longer your champion. Now it's the ultimate warrior and check out this look here. We're going to be joined by Jesse, the body Ventura and Vincent Kennedy McMahon. They have quite the look here in Texas. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you. Can you believe what we are seeing right now? 
Well, the only thing missing are the Artery Funk chaps that uh, he didn't wear. And this is where I, where I lost him, as a matter of fact. But, uh, yeah, don't they look comfortable on there, Jesse, with his little weed in his mouth? And Vince's horse just wanted to be on the other side. I don't understand what the hell is going on here. How nervous was Vince to be on the horse like this? I, Vince was fine, but Jesse's kind of had the had the one that was a little uncooperative, so they switched. But the funny thing about it was, was like originally they were supposed to be on the other side, but then when Vince got on the horse, it was uncooperative. Then they got back on the, you know, the horse wanted to be on that side. So by God, four-legged animals that are bigger than you and kick harder than you will usually win. How would you describe Jesse's hat here? Jesse got the old Haas Cartwright hat by God, you know, just, um, just a Haas Cartwright. And, and Vince has the JR starter kit. <laughs> We're at the Frank Irwin center in Austin, Texas. Uh, where are you on Austin? Oh, wait, we got it. We got a famous promo here from Sean Mooney who recently, I think made the decision to Hang up podcasting. See with Mr. Perfect. Let's track it. His side, his uh, legal corner man. And what's my name? The genius. Ooh, you're smart. Now, with names like Perfect and Genius, you gentlemen must have high opinions of your abilities. And why not? I'm not only the perfect wrestler, I'm a perfect athlete. One who not only plays golf, basketball, billiards, ping pong, chess, and horseshoes. I can play all those sports and more. But more importantly, I play them perfectly. But how does all this relate to your match with Hulk Hogan? Elementary, my learned friend. You see, Hogan, since you lost the title at WrestleMania, you've lost your confidence, lost your ambition, and lost your courage. And most importantly, you've lost all your Hulkamaniacs. But don't worry, Hulk Hogan, because tonight, you'll show the whole world your only perfect quality. You'll be a perfect loser. What a promo from Mr. Perfect and his perfect streak just came to an end. Thanks to a rat soup eating motherfucker named Bruce Pritchard, who decided to let Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake end it at WrestleMania six, Bruce, who booked this shit? Why in the world would you let Mr. Perfect fall to Brutus before Hulk Hogan got to chew him up? Reality based. Oh, I'm going to fucking hang this deal up. I'm not putting up with this. Well, I just, here I'm mixing me myself, some Padron here and, and it's reality. Uh, when you look at Mr. Perfect and then you look at the barber, good God. How about Howard Finkel in there doing the uh, ring introductions? God damn. Absolutely classic in the heart of Texas. You know, here, here's the funny thing now, and I'm not disparaging the town of Austin, Texas, because Austin, frankly, is one of my favorite cities anywhere in the world. And I would probably you'll even vacation over there. Oh, wait, we got to track this. Something mean gene. If Mr. Perfect and the genius believe what they say, then they are perfect brother. Really? Oh yeah, man. They're perfect fools because never before have I been so confident in my own abilities, dude. Confident that Hulkamania will stand the true test of time. Confident that the training, saying your prayers and eating your vitamins is definitely the right way to live. 
as far as my ambition goes, Mr. Perfect, my burning ambition, which is hotter than ever before, is to defeat pompous punks like you and spread the three demandments of Hulkamania. Now about the courage department of the Hulkster brother. Anybody can be knocked down a peg or two, and some stay down, maybe even down for the count. But it takes courage to get back up. And that's what I'm gonna do tonight, dude. After the match is over, me and Gene, I'll be standing tall, taller than ever before. All at your expense, Mr. Perfect. And as far as all my little Hulkamaniacs go, brother, we stick together through thick and thin, good times and bad, still bound together as the strongest force in the universe. And if there are any doubts whatsoever, then watch this, brother. All right, the one and only Hulk Hogan. He couldn't have said it anymore. Perfectly. Vince. I love the, uh, the puns. Is this all still under the supervision of the NBC? Maybe supervision is the wrong word. The collaboration of NBC. Yeah, it was definitely a collaboration on, on some of the script work here and that it, it could definitely get very punny. God, I love that shot, man. Following him down to the ring, that low shot from behind. It's just incredible. Well, you know, you look at this match, you look at Hogan and perfect and by God, it is the perfect match. Great chemistry and great matches and probably should have done a lot more. But, uh, and they, and they did leading up to WrestleMania and, and warrior and Hulk, um, perfect fall. But I was talking about Austin, Texas, cause you look at this crowd, they're into it and Austin is a place I would probably live. And I may end up living there when I'm done here because it's. Just a great quaint town, but it's never, ever been a great like live event market, not only for wrestling, but for concerts. You know, South by Southwest does really well there because it's a quirky place and people like to go there. But the town, the market itself was never one to really come out and support anything in, in, in large abundance, especially when shit, anytime I was going to say, well, even, uh, during college, when you had all the kids in session, they, they didn't come out. And then in the summer, they're all gone. So even less people came out. It just was a weird town. Hence keep Austin weird. We should mention you, you sort of touched on it a little bit. Maybe Mr. Perfect and Hulk Hogan could have been a program that lasted a little longer, but they even went to Madison square garden with a soft house with this. And we covered that in our Mr. Perfect episode. It's remarkable to me that we all look back at Mr. Perfect and say, God damn, how great was he? One of the best. I mean, here, this is the way I remember him. I mean, this singlet and that baby blue one, and he's in the best condition of his life. And he's just, I don't know the character. It's just, it's perfect for me. Pardon the pun. And I would assume, man, with, with his arrogant heelish aspect and his almost cartoon, like selling for Hulk, this should have been a no brainer, but for whatever reason, it didn't do big business around the horn and fuck at that. In this era, you could even put brother love against Hulk Hogan and it would sell out. But for some reason it didn't, I didn't even sell off the Tokyo dome. Well, I mean, seriously, you, you were featured with him in the garden and it sold out, but when they do it with Mr. Perfect, it doesn't. And that just, I don't know. It doesn't matter. And I'm not disparaging how over brother love was. I'm just saying, even you would agree. God damn, this is going to be a good match. Oh, absolutely. And, and 
Kurt is one of my favorite performers to watch because he just was so damn good. Yeah. And you see it here, you know, it, it's the perfect foil. Kurt's the right size and he is a bump taking machine. So you, you kind of look back and look at everything that Mr. Perfect did just with such fondness because his timing was impeccable. And this is also a good time because you had the genius there who was great fodder and, um, it just, it, ah, oh, Jesus. And Kurt, the, the, the bump outside, holy cow, good shit. This is, uh, maybe some of my peak fandom. You know, we often talk about how 89 was my favorite year besides 97, but as we cruise into 90, I'm at my all time height of my fandom as a kid. I think when this aired, I would be eight. I'd turn nine in a couple of months. Uh, this is as good as it gets. Who was your favorite wrestler when you were eight years old? You really have to ask that question. I assume it was Dory fucking funk. Goddamn right. I just can't imagine, McDaniel. I can't imagine being that excited as a kid about Dory funk. I had Hulk Hogan. You had Dory funk. And Wahoo McDaniel. Okay. Well, I had another, I had an Indian that I loved. His name was ultimate warrior. No joke, no comment, nothing. There's no better time to say I love you. And the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate stevensinger.com and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection that's no hassle, no risk expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better service friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business, with a full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. Interest free financing is available online too. And that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home. It's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Do you think um, on some level, the warrior title run wasn't as successful as perhaps the savage one was because on the heels of WrestleMania four Hogan disappeared for a little while and let savage sort of rule the roost. Meanwhile, here just one month later and on the big prime time special Hogan's in his normal spot. Warriors still got to fend for himself. Well, I think that look warrior make no mistake about it. Warrior did have a good run. Was it even at this time, you know, you hear the stories about, would you rather be on, uh, Hogan's tour or Warriors tour? Yeah. yeah. You know, Hogan, Hogan was the, was the main guy. So for business, it's just that Hogan didn't need the championship. Well, I'm it was the opportunity that. to boost warrior, but did it neuter a little bit? Because at this point, and I know that you're going to laugh at this, but Hulk Hogan's bigger than the belt. I mean, he. You know, you could put, oh, the world titles on the card, or you could just put Hulk Hogan's here 
fuck. They're, they're not coming to see the belt. They're coming to see Hulk Hogan every time, every single time. That's my point though, is if Hogan had another terrible movie to go make, would warrior have had a more successful run? Do you think? I don't know. I, I think that in a way that warrior and, and Hulk was, was gone a little bit, but at the same time, I think warrior kind of needed that blessing of Hulk and needed, needed to rub up to Hulk to, to make him the sell just, the ri- just rise up. I guess I'm, I'm having a hard time explaining it, but warrior needed Hulk a stamp of approval. If you will. Yes. From the eyes of the fans, we should mention Wade would report WrestleMania pay-per-view numbers have been reported at 3.8% buy rate, which is 495,000 homes or a $15 million gross. This is a disappointing figure that's been attributed to both the high $30 price and the face face matchup. One reason not mentioned yet is that even if the main event was only marginally strong, there was no undercard enticement to convince the borderline buyers. It was worth the money. The first warrior Hogan rematch may be at SummerSlam. As the $30 projected price tag would indicate, obviously the results of that match will depend on warrior success and drawing crowds as champion so far, it has not been great. Now, obviously we know that you guys wound up doing a different SummerSlam. You're going to do the earthquake crush thing on Hulk Hogan, and he's going to come back and that'll be the SummerSlam match for him and ravishing Rick rude will reinvent himself and get a world title shot in a steel cage against the ultimate warrior at SummerSlam 90. Was it ever considered doing a rematch for nope. these two? Okay. Never because Vince, you know, first of all, Vince wasn't really crazy about the baby face, baby face match. Sure. And I think with the buy rate and everything else, there was no way you were going to talk him into doing it with that attraction again. Clean in the middle, baby, big boot. Leg drop, one, two, three. There it is. And here comes the genius getting a little comeuppance for him. Win him in the middle, lose him in the middle. Uh-huh. How would you describe Lanny's haircut here? Glorious. Seriously. Absolutely. What's wrong with this haircut? It's a beautiful haircut. Well, it's like happy days. Happy days. I'm just, it's a throwback haircut, buddy. It's a, it's a lot of hair. It looks like he's on the set of designing women. That was, that was the thing then. That was, that was nice hair. No, I know it was. My mom had that haircut in 1990. Your mom still has that haircut. No, she's got the, uh, the short Katie Lee or, or Jamie Lee Curtis gimmick. Now the, the kind of Bob gimmick. There he is pointing up to the heavens. And then, uh, wrapping the, uh, the belt around his waist symbolically. And we see this famous crowd shot coming down the stairs. Who deserves the credit for that? Y'all did it a lot over the years. Well, actually we did. The, the reason that you got it here was because it was a Saturday night's main event and we had a steady cam. So when we had the steady cam and we were able to have a good steady cam operator to come down, you would get that kind of moving shots. We didn't have that every week. And nor did we even have it on every pay-per-view. But occasionally you'd break it out on a pay-per-view and it it always stood out. By the way, let's do a little throwback, something to wrestle here. What exactly is happening in the ring right now? The Hulkster's posing. You know why? Because Hulk must pose. There we go. One of our more famous early something to wrestle sayings, but this was a formula. And listen, I know now we look back and we say, boy, how silly is this? But 
this is really what fans wanted to see. They wanted to see Hulk Hogan do this. They wanted to see Michael Jordan stick his tongue out. I mean, there are certain little things that you expected. Oh, here's a track. It. That reigns supreme uh, arrogance, the thoroughbred of men's cologne that loosens up even the most resistant female arrogance. It's a breed apart. Yes. And after all, it only makes good horse sense. I absolutely. Appaloosans women up and great makes great horse sense. This pony bullshit. I, Oh God, drove me nuts. Oh my God. And check out Jesse here with earthquake and Jimmy Hart. We're going to track it, baby. With tremors so far up the Richter scale, Hogan never recovered. And here is the natural disaster himself. The earthquake. Heavily Jim. Now it's your turn. You'll start shaking in fear as you feel the tremors. Your knees will knock as the quake intensifies. And then your country heck friends can watch the earth swallow you up as I deliver a ton on the Richter scale. But don't worry, Hillbilly. You're going to feel right at home because, Daddy, we're going to make our own deliverance film. Only this time it won't be any dueling banjos, but you will squeal like a pig. How would you describe what we just saw and heard? It was 1989, 1990, man. Come on. I got to tell you, I, uh, I can't think of anything more fun for us to be watching today on the Saturday than this. So this is just all my favorite shit when I was a kid. And I know you hated all the punny shit with arrogance, but that fucking music and him just squeezing the uh, perfume out for me to hit me in the feels. That's all I needed. You, you got hit in the feels with the arrogance, dude. I loved arrogance. Arrogance was great shit. Did you have, did you get you a bottle of arrogance? No. Do you know where I can get? Oh God. I hope this isn't going to be a speech about his phone. Here we go. Gene, I sure did. But let me tell you something. I know quite a bit about pigs and such. Cause you know, me and granny raised some of the most absolute beauty done on the farm. But look at you ever done seen. Well, I remember skipping down to the old pig pen with big old buckets of slop. And I poured slop right over in the, in the old pig trough. And I'd yell, well, anyway, come to think of it, this here big old earthquake, he kind of reminds me of that big old hog that won last year's Mudlick 4-H County Fair. Well, wait a minute, Hillbilly. You know a lot about pigs, but what do you know about earthquakes? Well, actually, there, gee, I don't know too much, but you know something? I do remember my granny sitting me down there in Mudlick, Kentucky on Sundays and read me that old Mudlick Gazette. It was a, it was a good, old funny, good old funny spot in there. And there was a fella in there, and his name was Earthquake Muldoon, a big old fella. I didn't pay too much attention to him, really, because I was more interested in the little gal named Daisy May. Now, she was well, really... Sur- right now, Hillbilly, everybody is more interested in your match with Earthquake. Well, okay. He is one of a kind, folks, Hillbilly Jim. Hi, Granny. Hi. What a character. Yeah, and I think that uh, my good... Fr- uh, well, this is no good, because I, I doubt Brian is on Pedro, but... Uh, Brian Gewirtz in later years would, when we talk about Hillbilly Jim, would would say, could Hillbilly dress more like a Hillbilly and not a strip club manager? Because in later years, God bless old Jim, he would kind of dress like a... Strip club manager. Yeah. Yeah, he would. Great guy, Hillbilly Jim, though. Absolutely one of my favorite folks in the whole wide world. What's he do now? 
I'll strip club manager. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> See, listen, we can get our Abbott and Costello routine going again. You just got to fuck around and get fired one more time. Well, <laughs> we keep, you keep making me do all these Saturday shows and I might just be moving back to Austin. Well, that would be too Austin. See, cause I, I was, I was there in Friendswood, but I might go to Austin and get weird. I was just saying that we're watching a show from Austin. I know. And it's weird there. Okay. Got it. That's your gimmick. Yeah. Let's keep, keep it weird. Keep it weird. Don't be messing with that damn, that damn horseshoe, horseshoe chain gimmick there. My horseshoe necklace. It's my lucky one. It's gold. See, and it it's, is. And it's gold. It's Randy got, right there. Mudley. Uh Oh, no way. I got it done up all gold after I got my first check from LJN. And then my phone rang. <laughs> oh, shut up. Don't you do that. And then it's top five. I picked up the phone. It was off. And I said, Hey, watch this. This phone's getting ready to ring here in a second. Holy fuck. Ooh. This is the WWF I like. I like my shit quick. Let's do it with crotch in the mouth, quick and crotch in the mouth. Yeah. What you just saw there looked remarkably like my honeymoon. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Can't go nowhere. Oh now. God. You're welcome. Um, um, I'm, you know what? Megan may hear this. So I'm not going to no, say a word. Megan ain't got Patron. She could get Patron. She could hear Patron being fiddle fucked over the Patroni thing. Do you think for a minute with all the podcasting I have to do in this very room that my wife is interested in listening to one minute of any of it? Yeah, but me. Nah, no, if, if me and you were doing a live show, she'd go check that out. But cause, That's cause she digs me. Well, yeah. And we can hang out after and, uh, tell stories and drink and fellowship. Mainly drink, mainly drink. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, in this, in this, uh, the times that we are, uh, a quarantine, we are in right now. Yeah. Uh, the other night I went and saw my, my good buddy over at Capitol grill in Sanford. They're not open yet, uh, but they do have to go And I was here with my daughter alone and wanted to have us a nice little meal. And I went over there and, uh, Called him and I said, yeah, I said, I'm really glad, glad that, uh, you're doing takeout. I, I wanted to eat something there. I said, but can you get me some of them stoli dolies? Oh, hang on a second. Track it. Free matchup. I pump up with this arrogance. It's today's man in a classic can. The fragrance that overpower, overwhelms and pins down the competition. Mmm. Arrogance for man until we meet. Tell me that shit wasn't awesome, dude. Oh, I loved it. I, I, I absolutely loved Rick Martell and arrogance. Well, the chicks coming up from the bottom, too. That was just, I don't know, man. The music is just, it was perfect. Speaking of perfect, this is about as cool of a tag team as we can get. Here's Jesse the Body with the Heart Foundation. Track it. Demolition are on notice. You're hungry. You're in shape. 
and I'd have to say your quest for the title is right on track. Especially since tonight, you're only facing a bunch of somersaulting <laughs> sissies, the Rockers. A pair of tumbling teeny boppers are no match for the Heart Foundation. And Rockers, after your heart attack, you can join demolition in the coronary unit. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like angina to me. My God, all of these puns. You're right. It's over the top today. Yeah, a little bit, man. A little bit. Well, I think we're going to get a rockers interview in a moment, but if we don't, you want to tell us about these Stoli do what, what is a Stoli Doli? I understand it's Stoli, but what else is in it? Uh, pineapple. Oh, okay. and you just take your pineapples and then you fill it up with, uh, vodka. And then it just marinates for about six to eight weeks. And then you just got a uh, straight vodka that's been marinating in pineapple juice. Well, how about the rockers here with their homemade outfit? It seems as if you may be outgunned here tonight. This isn't the okay crowd, Mean Gene. Besides, we have all the ammunition we need. And Heart Foundation, you may be prepared for a shootout with Demolition, but I don't think you're ready for the Rockers aerial attack. Besides, Mean Gene, we want a shot at Demolition's tag title, too. So, Heart Foundation, be prepared for a broken heart. All right. My God, broken heart, shootout, okay corral, every single one of them. And they've even got Mean Gene here dressing like an asshole. Hey. They're, they're in Texas. They're dressed like Texas, by God. Oh, wait, you don't wear none of that. Well, actually, you did go to New York once in that fucking Walker, Texas Ranger fucking duster. What the hell's wrong with that? Nothing. In 1988, but when you did it in 2018, the shit looked ridiculous. It looked nice. I got that damn thing in, in New York City. I have no doubt. In 85, it was the shit. Hey, so help me up. By the way, we're talking over. An all-time great Saturday night's main event match. It's not the very best one that the Rockers had. I think that was probably with the Brainbusters. But this is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Heart Foundation and Rockers. This is about to be some good shit, my friend. Yes, it is. And probably, you know, you look at the guys, it's, it's funny, you know, as you sit there and talk about that, Brett and Sean and the history that they will have over the next Six 20 years. years. Six years from now, they're going to be on top at WrestleMania 12 for the world title. But at this point, neither one, one of the greatest matches of all time, Ugh, uh, most overrated pieces of turds. Uh, but this match in particular is going to showcase what both of these guys can do as tag team specialists. And I think really for my money, this is when the rockers were at their best in 1990. And I don't know if this is the best year the heart foundation ever had, but God, I don't remember them ever having a bad match. This is great stuff in any year. No, they were. And, and one of the things that took the Rockers to the next level was consistently every single night, no matter who they were working against or where they were, they would go out and steal the show and work their ass off to get the audience. So that's, you know, when you, when you look at great tag teams and what they did, these guys did it every night above and beyond. So, so, okay. So wait a minute. Let me get, let me get something straight here. So you didn't like the WrestleMania 12 Iron Man match, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. Well, let me explain. So what, what in your definition is a great match? Okay. Well, let's, let me back up. I don't like an Iron Man match at all. I think it's the worst gimmick match of all. Worse than. Yes. Worse than anything you're about to name. Here's why. 
Oh, way worse than a pole match. Way worse. And here's worse why. than a dog kennel match. Worse than a dog kennel match. And here's my reasoning. If, and I'm just saying, if you have a match where there's a time limit, not like you can't go past this, but it's going to go at least this. Now it becomes a basket, an NBA basketball game. And I don't give a shit how many NBA basketball games you watch. You just need to watch the last five minutes and you got it. So I don't want to watch 60 minutes of this when I can tune in in the last five minutes and that's all I need to see. And I understand in theory that it could be way up seven to zero, but at that point, if it's seven to zero, I'm not going to keep watching because there's no way you can catch up on seven pinfalls. It's over. Yes, you can. No, come on. I'm just saying the point is I do think that there have been some Ironman matches that were well done. I just think going all the way to the end at zero, zero, while some wrestling purists say, oh, it's the best match ever. I think it's just overrated. And I think that it's because of my disdain, because here's the thing. I consider wrestling like a combat sport, almost like boxing or MMA. It could end at any minute, but if we know that, well, they're going to do this for 60 minutes. Well, I'll catch you at 55. So obviously you've never watched any great Iron Man matches that captivated you throughout and that this one did. Well, I think, uh, because you yourself said you checked out, so you didn't check it all the way out and you didn't sit there and watch the entire 60 minutes of spectacular wrestling and storytelling. Didn't they do it with, uh, was WrestleMania 21, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels. That was one we just covered. Wasn't it? That was awesome. Hey, yeah. so talk to me a little bit about your Stoli Doli. You went to Capitol grill. I think so. I went to one. any get and he got me two quarts of it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And it was great. And, and I came home and drank Stoli Dolies and it was absolutely fantastic. And I highly recommend them, but here's the thing. They go down really, really smooth and they're really, really good. So you can get really, really, um, feeling good really, really quickly. Well, I'd like to have one with you sometime. If I was ever invited to your home, you're invited to my home. Well, come on up. Here's the thing. I'm my concern. Anytime. My concern would be, I would spend more time there than you would. You would. (laughs) Hey man, anytime you want to come up here and hang out with Stephanie and the kids, just come on, (laughs) come on up. I'll get to wave to you. If you want, I'll wake you up when my 1am meeting ends and I come in, I'll come snuggle with you for a few minutes till Megan gets mad and kicks me out. How about demolition coming to take a look? You gotta love it. God, this is the best. That's the ax and that's the smasher. They're demolition walking disaster. Hmm, I think you could write that down and maybe turn it into a song. Not that one. Not that one. Hey, we should mention here. Uh, Wade would write earthquake, but hillbilly Jim who left on a stretcher. Rick Martell did bumpers, pushing his arrogance. The heart foundation are mysteriously turning heel again, as they did a heel interview with Ventura and fought the rockers. And then he would write the rockers fought the heart foundation to a double DQ in a four star match. All four were great. It ended when demolition who were observing at ringside were helping Michaels back into the ring. Janetti thought they're hitting Michael. So he had smash and a brawl breaks out. With Michaels versus Anvil, Hart versus Axe, and Smash versus Janetti, no team was cast as heels, though the Hart Foundation seemed to be heading in that direction. 
I got to tell you, man, and I know that, you know, at this point, they're not maybe once what they once were. But, dude, if the British Bulldogs were here, could you not argue that these are the four best tag teams in wrestling? I mean, you could argue it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, see, and, and again, I was never that big of a, a British Bulldog fan. I well, just, a lot of our young, they were a good team. They were tremendous. But I just didn't think they were all that great. Well, as far as drawing money, I think most people. Not like Dennis and Bobby, motherfucker. Well, Dennis, uh, at this point, Dennis is gone. So it's Bobby and Stan. But still, that's a great tag team. No argument. Yeah, come on now. Yeah, it's a great tag team, but it's not the same. You lose Dennis and that, no, sorry. Well, that was my point. And the only other one that would be in the conversation is rock and roll. And I think at this point, one of them is injured and on the shelf. And by 90, it just wasn't the same as it was in 86. Uh, the rockers were the best tag team in the business at this point. I don't think you can really argue that. NMLS number six, five, zero, eight, four equal housing lender. Woo. Save with Conrad.com. Just helped a family just like yours secure an interest rate in the twos. For a mortgage, you're overpaying right now if you're in a 30-year loan or if you have an interest rate in the threes, fours, fives, sixes. What are you waiting for? Keep more of your own money before it's too late. Just last week, the experts started to advise that we might be on borrowed time with these interest rates. Take advantage of these rates while we've still got them and find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. It's just a great time for tag team wrestling. You know, you just think about all those teams we just rattled off and they're all... Shitting and getting. I think Doom is even still a team at this point. Well, that, this was right about the time that uh, Butch Reed, first of all, some bitch was over in Florida. But this is about the time that, that Butch Reed was, was talking about like uh, taking VHS tapes. Oh, yeah. Renting them out to people. Mm -hmm. And they keep them as long as they want. And then they send them back and do a mail order type thing. He's going to call it tape flicks or something like that. True story. I believe you. Don't get hot. You're just watching this dad gun match and these some bitches go after it. No, I'm into it, man. This is, I mean, seriously, I was so fired up about watching this because. I thought the earthquake storyline you guys were setting up with Hulk Hogan here is, uh, one of the more memorable ones of my childhood. Perfect. And Hogan is just the best. These are three of my favorite tag teams of all time, specifically demolition. I was such a demolition fan, the arrogance bumpers, the warriors still coming out. It's just great shit, man. WWF in 1990 was awesome. Yeah. I see Marty's over there. Okay. Marty's in the wrong. Of course he is. Marty's just a goddamn hothead. And now this, this is broken down into a fucking Donnybrook. This was before there was even such a thing as a three-way match. Look at, the crowd. Look at the crowd quick. going nuts, dude. Yeah, can you imagine if at this point three-way matches were invented? At this point, the only three-way matches happened to Jake Slaw. Hey, 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 hey. What? Sorry. You can't say that. Can't say what? Well, I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble for, for talking about vodka on a Padron show. <laughs> By the way, for some of you, uh, newer 
listeners here on ad free shows for years and years. We, uh, we talked to, we joked about the fact that when my dad understood that there was like a, uh, a paywall version of our show on Patreon, uh, one day after he's been drinking, he's like, how do I do some of that Patron? And we just stuck with it all this time. So you'll hear Tony Schiavone and Bruce Pritchard occasionally refer to what we're doing here at adfreeshows.com as Patron as a throwback. And oh my gosh, a second earthquake interview track it. Right. Daddy, just about a week ago, we celebrated Earth day and nobody cares more about the environment than the earthquake. And I prove it every time I get in the ring by disposing of waste like hillbilly Jim. As far as you're concerned, Hulk Hogan, you already felt a slight tremor, a tremor that cost you the World Wrestling Federation title. But now, Hogan, if you get in my way again, you'll feel the devastating impact of a quake that will send Hulkamania into a crumbling heap of debris. And just think, Hogan, if it happens here in Texas, you could be buried with your boots on. <laughs> Not that he wasn't before, but I suspect that Hulk Hogan might want to be a little more environmentally conscious in the future. So uh, we've got the, the stage set now for SummerSlam. And you know what's coming up next. It's going to be our main event. We've got Haku and we've got the Ultimate Warrior. But first, we've got to hear a little SummerSlam hype. Hulk Hogan. Future. Well, me, Gene, I must admit that the earthquake is definitely a natural disaster. But right now, brother, Hulkamania is like a Texas tornado, and anything that gets in our way will be mowed down. But what if there's an earthquake in your future? One whose epicenter is again right in the middle of your chest. One so devastating it might do permanent damage to Hulkamania. All I can say, Mean Gene, is we're survivors, brother. Besides, I could never let any of my little holsters down. Somehow, we would crawl out of that deep black hole. Somehow, our broken bones would heal. Somehow, our spirits would be stronger than ever. And oh yeah, brother, somehow, once again, we would prove that the strongest force in the universe is not a hurricane, it's not a typhoon, and it's definitely not an earthquake. I've said it before, and I say it again, that the strongest force in the universe is Hulkamania. <laughs> All right, we're going to have more Hook'em Horns here as we return with the old... More Hook'em Horns as we return. Oh, Bossman and Akeem. God, there's so much good stuff on this show. Well, yeah. <laughs> Gotta be big coming from Texas. Jesus. What? It's just funny that we just double down on the cliches. We've got... The cowboy hat on the logo, the spurs on the logo, saw the horses. Oh, look at this recap for WrestleMania six track it. And the ultimate warrior meeting in a contest of galactic proportions and in a match to determine who was the strongest force in the universe, the Hulkster and the warrior battled his Titans in the ultimate challenge. The largest crowd in Skydome history stood in awe at the prowess of the combatants. And then after an eternity of warfare had happened, the ultimate warrior became the new World Wrestling Federation champion, while Hulk Hogan took his first step into immortality, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that Hulkamania will indeed live forever. And Jesse the Body is standing by with a challenger. Congratulations, Bobby Heenan on the opportunistic occasion to win the World Wrestling Federation title in, of all places, 
Texas? Yeah, Texas. You know, I used to think Texas was only good for tobacco-chewing women, horse manure, armadillos, dirty politics, saddle sores, cow dung, illegal aliens, and the ever-popular horseflies. But now Texas will be remembered for something other than J.R. Ewing, because tonight, one of my family members, Haku, will win the title for me. Well, if anybody knows how to beat the warrior, it's definitely you, Bobby Heenan. You did it before with another family member, and I predict that you will do it again. You know your history, Jesse, but tonight, I'll be making history. You know, and Texans will finally have something and someone to be proud of. All those ham and eggers who got kicked at the Alamo, the Davy Crockett's, the Sam Houston's, the John Houston's, the Jim Bowie's, the Bowie Coons, the Rosemary Coonies. They'll all be forgotten when my man Haku wins the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Hey, remember the Alamo, sure. But you can forget about the ultimate warrior. Come on, champ. <laughs> Over to you, hop along, Gene. All right, Jesse. With me now, the new World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion, the ultimate warrior. At WrestleMania Warrior, you lived up to the ultimate challenge, and then some. But now, you face a challenge of a different kind. It's your first title defense on television, and you'll be coming face-to-face -face with one force that some time ago defeated you, a Heenan family member. And tonight, Bobby Heenan has selected Haku for the honors. Ultimate Warrior, your thoughts. I look not to the light of the past, but dwell instead into the darkness of the future. For even the ultimate warrior cannot control the course of power. What the fuck is he saying here, Bruce? I thought you spoke idiot. What do you think of the white version of the winged eagle world title? I liked it. See, I liked the colored leathers, man. I liked when he had the white. I liked when he had the purple and the pink and the yellow and all that other shit. I thought it was pretty damn cool. Yeah, I think there was a lavender. There was certainly a baby blue. It's at SummerSlam. Uh, and we know this white one. I think the white one here has red backing, in fact. And then uh, the yellow intercontinental is just fucking iconic. Yeah, we did a pink one too, didn't we? Or that was, I guess, the purple one. Yeah, I think, I think they called it lavender. But I'm colorblind, so purple and pink are the same color to me. And you're showing off. What do you think of this version of his uh, uh, his face paint? For years and years, I, he had just. I love this. Uh, yeah, I liked I liked the flex and shit. Loved it a lot. The logo on his uh, trunks there. My mom put on my uh, birthday cake for my nine year old birthday party. So somewhere oh there's a picture God. of me at my birthday party when I turned nine with the uh, logo on Warrior's ass here. So she put his ass on your cake. Yeah, it was pretty expensive, but it was worth it. No, she went down to the goddamn Walmart or the food world or whatever it was and had them make a cake with, uh, that face paint on the, on the well, cake. What was it? Was it food world or Walmart? I don't know. I, you know, I didn't order the cake cause it was my birthday. You see, that's how it works. When it's your birthday, you don't know where these. Okay. Are. I remember I was in Abilama and it was my birthday and you made me go to the wind Dixie <laughs> to get my cake. <laughs> no, that's not true. That is true. We don't even have wind Dixie here. Well, you took me somewhere and made me pick up my own damn cake. 
And it wasn't the supermarket pizza place either. That supermarket pizza you actually liked. I did like the supermarket pizza. Uh, so Haku here in real life, if this was a shoot and he was champion, would he ever lose? Uh, probably not at this point of his life. What do you make of the Haku logo? I don't ever remember seeing that on site. Look at this. It's an Islander, man. What a presentation. We got to track a minute of it. Real question. How much of the warrior's success do you attribute to the music? A lot of it. And, and, but I mean, this, this is it. This is what everybody wanted to see. You wanted to see him run to the ring. You want to see him shake the ropes, hit the corners and do it all over again at the end. You weren't paying for substance. It was sort of, and I know that this is a totally different circumstance and, and it's not the exact same. But it's akin to the Sandman's entrance to me. Like everybody looked forward to the Sandman just because they wanted the big entrance. They wanted the song that you wanted to sing along, be a part of the deal. Uh, you know, the cane was cool. The cigarettes and the smoking and the drinking was cool, but it's all about the entrance because once the bell rang, well, name your favorite Sandman match, right? Don't know. I've ever seen one. That's sort of my point. You know, if you ever ask somebody, what's your favorite ultimate warrior match? you're really not going to get much of an answer beyond WrestleMania six or WrestleMania seven. Yeah, this is true. Um, but you'd be thankful for this one. Cause at least it's going to be short. <laughs> yes, it is. And then we've still got, uh, he has no idea what to do with that arm now that he has it. No, but he's got it in his hands. He does have it. He's. I think somebody was trying to sell that jacket that, uh, Bobby Heenan was wearing years ago for like 10 grand. Holy cow. Nobody got it for that price. Of course. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you exactly what he paid for it. It was roughly, uh, a hundred bucks and then an extra 75 for all the shit on it. 175 and you can have a jacket like that. Yeah. Well, 1990. You could. Yeah. Jay Z flair made one, you know, that goof. He's got Watch AC got to be a goof. Well, I'm just saying. I, I mean, I know I don't know why he's got to be, but. Well, he is one. That's the point. Oh. He ain't a cop no more? No, he just has the jacket to wear around conventions and stuff, and it says Jay-Z Flair on the back, but it's sort of Heenan-styled, Heenan-inspired. No, wait, that's but, pre-Bojangles jacket. My apologies. Now he's full Bojangles 24-7. Yeah. And he's not a po he's not a popo no more. I didn't say that. Well, I asked that. I don't know. Ask him. You want his number? I'll give it to you. I've got his number. It's nine one one. Oh, that ain't right. What? You note what I meant. Look at these damn clothesline and not by just Well, here's the reason I can't answer. He's an undercover cop and you're trying to make me out him. No, I'm not. He asking if he's a you cop. You just outed him. Well, yeah, it's but, Patron. They, they need that inside information. Okay. Well, he's an undercover cop. Don't buy drugs in North Carolina. Or if you do, don't buy it from JC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn. He's going to be so mad when he hears this, but I paid a little, I don't care. <laughs> Actually, I, I did too, but I think <laughs> it's just cause I got to pee. Well, I do too. I mean, shit, we've been recording since I woke up this morning and it's damn near five.
Well, then everybody's good for like the next, what, nine weeks. If you miss the next nine weeks of shows, I'm just going to delete my Twitter. I won't be able to mute motherfuckers fast <laughs> enough. Oh, Lord. I know I'll be at BJ's at eight o'clock in the morning, though. What is BJ's? Oh, that's right. They ain't got that in Alabama. BJ's Wholesale Club. I don't know what that it's is. It's like a Costco or a Sam's. Oh. Why, why are you going at nine o'clock in the morning? Because that's when they open. And if you don't get there that time, man, you got to wait outside with a cart and shit. You get sprayed with that disinfectant. What are you trying to get when you go in? Toilet paper. See, here's body the, wash. Let me just give you a spoiler. Yeah. I don't go do that. Well, see, I do. I actually see. I, I, I long for being able to do that. I just have the shit delivered and come in here and, and record podcasts or do more. Well, that's because you're a fucking rich multi-billionaire, uh, mortgage whoa, 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 owner. Whoa, whoa. You made more money working for Vince McMahon last year than I have in my entire career. That's not true. I, if I had your money, I'd burn mine. That's not true. You're always down here joking on my shit. Your shit's got 18 commas in it. Shit. You can see my shit from up top in your palace there at the Conradison. That is still one of your better jokes. You said when people fly over Huntsville, you're like, folks, if you're on the left side of the plane and you look out, you'll see the famed Conradison. Well, they'll see one wing of the Conradison. And those of you on the right side right side of the plane will see the other. It's a goddamn big short work of Mr. Haku, Bobby Heenan going nuts. It feels like we've just, uh, Swap spots where, uh, where warrior was one or Hogan was once battling with all of Heenan's family. Now it's warrior's turn. The more things change, the more they stay the same. There he is your world champion. No, I guess there were and two. Bobby Heenan thanking God that he didn't have to go in and take any bumps. Yeah. Thank God that weasel suit shit's over. I don't have to do that anymore. So yeah, there were at least two of those now that I'm seeing it white world titles because the other one that I think he had around a pay-per-view, maybe survivor series. He, uh, he's got a red backing, but here it's a, uh, it's like a black backing. So the more, you know, how do you know it's not the same belt? It's just a different backing. I don't, I just know he treated them like shit. Oh, here we go. Oh, here you go. <laughs> you know, now there's a fragrance that puts it all on the line. Arrogance. Whether it's a forehand, a backhand, every shot's a winner because women Navrata love it. Arrogance for men will make you the number one seed. One shot and you'll be in the royal box. I don't know that. Akeem and the big boss man were ready to get it on at WrestleMania, but lurking in the shadows was a million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Let's take you back. We're going to be doing some hard time here very shortly. I got to tell you, this was, uh, a fun moment of WrestleMania six, because I did expect it million dollar man camping out to attack the big boss man who he of course had an issue with over some stuff that had happened. I think it was it on your show, the brother love show. Well, it was after that some bitch going back on his word, not and not getting the damn, uh, million dollar belt out of that snake bag. That's right. Son of a bitch. But that was on your show, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Look, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. Well, here he is 
the slickster. Hang on, brother. That's a pretty good impression. The business as usual, my man. And his business is my business. And I'm happy to say that the million dollar man has upped his ante. He's given us an offer we can't refuse. We're going to finish the job that we started at WrestleMania. And boss man, you were a fool not to accept the money when you had the chance. But you've run out, run out of chances, daddy. Just like some of those law enforcement officers who won't take the money. Now, boss man, you're going to be the one who pays. You can bank on it, brother. Money talks. Boss man walks. <laughs> Dude, how Look at you. Look at you back there. Look at you shutting your shit out there. If you think I'm not doing this, when we do, when you get fired again and we come back for a live show, first live show back in New York, that's my shit right there. No, you told me that before you didn't do it. Well, listen, I got the gear, but you didn't do what you were supposed to do either. I did. I don't remember that. You didn't dress up like brother love. I've done it. Yeah, but you did it for Vince. You didn't do it for our show. By the way, we haven't addressed that, but hypothetically speaking, uh, when you popped out of the bathroom a couple of months ago, oh, wait track it mightier than the nightstick let me tell you something ted dibiase you may be able to wear gold and diamonds driving fast cars eating fancy restaurants and stay at posh hotels i don't give a damn because justice is blind but not when it comes to payoffs dibiase it's obvious that you bought off my former manager slick and then paid and paid dearly to up the ante for my former tag team partner king but there are some things in this world that you can't buy. You can't buy morality. You can't buy honesty. And you can't buy integrity. But most of all, boy, you can't buy me. And Akeem, everything's bigger in Texas, <laughs> including the beating I'm about to give you. That's a good promo from Boss Man. Boss Man was a damn good promo. By the way, I should uh, read you in the torch here. Uh, <laughs> Waited right. The ultimate warrior was buried on the show, beating Haku warrior looked very poor. And it seemed got a mediocre response from the fans. Bossman won via DQ over Akeem when DiBiase and Virgil interfered a good S N M E. Uh, what do you, what do you make of Wade's comment that warrior was buried here on the show? I don't think he was buried at all. I mean, he won. How, how can he be buried if he won? Well, that's the danger of somebody thinking that they're smart. So yeah, uh, when you're in the bathroom and Ray Mysterio comes by to say hello, hypothetically speaking, were you in there manscaping? Maybe. I always wondered why your hands were so pale. And when I got asked that online, I was like, those are his, his hands are covered in his, his old man pubes because I wish you give everybody a peek behind the curtain back when you and I worked together on a near daily basis. Your nickname around the office was old gray bush. Why gotta be old? Not old with a D like O L E like Olay. Like, Oh, Olay, gray bush. A like, <laughs> you should Did you ever have lunch with Pancho Villa. No, I didn't. 
I do sometimes think about that, uh, lunch that, uh, we went to in that, uh, Cajun seafood restaurant downtown where you were crushing those raw oysters and then had a heart attack on your way home. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the 18 beers that I slammed at 1130 in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. not, Not a lot to do in Huntsville. Well, yeah, and, and it was, well, you better hurry up and drink this before you get on the plane because we've got to get you to the airport. Oh, I, shit, here's some more fried food. I think really what you were wrecking was the uh, the raw oysters. I was wrecking some raw oysters that day, yeah. But they're good for you. Well, they make your pee-pee strong. Apparently not your heart, though. No. Uh-uh. No, I think it was, I think it was, it had something to do with the 18 beers and the, we had some fried food that day too. We had a little bit of a lot. Well, we had a lot of everything. Oh man. What a bump here coming up, man. That's a lot of weight going over the top rope. Well, goddamn. You know who made those boots for Akeem, the African dream? Is that, uh, are those the same that Dusty used to wear? Cause it's got the pull tabs on them. It's from Austin Hall Boot Company in El Paso, Texas, baby. Miss Sandra used to take our order. There were only like three ladies in the whole place. Look at that move. Just keep hitting his own head. What well, did... I would say something, but I'm not going to. No, you have to. We're on patrol. Wait a minute. I just added people. You got to say something. No, I can't. Oh, you were going to make a, I got it. No, I didn't know where you were going. I'm gonna keep it to myself. All right. Here Look comes a million dollar man doing his very best, uh, Chippendales routine here. And Virgil, God, please don't let him throw any more punches. Yeah. No shit. Or any kicks. Maybe he should just but, go out. Some bitch look good in that outfit. Did you prefer, uh, DiBiase in the green million dollar man outfit or the black? I like the silver in the green. I like the black. And I, I like, I liked Virgil in his FTD florist outfit. That was the original, original FTD florist. Yeah. And the best part is, is we kept calling the FTD florist man all day while we were doing, while we were doing vignettes he has no and then lo is. and behold, there's a picture somewhere. I've got to find it one day of we were doing a shoot and outside, like down the street was a florist shop and there was the FTD florist and it had Virgil just lean up against the sign, not knowing what it was. Oh God. And it was him and the FTD florist guy. It was awesome. I've got it somewhere. So it's great. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. He's got a key. Yeah. They didn't think that through, did they? It's like Jim Cornette. He always has a handcuff key in his wallet. Just in case. Just in case. I'd like that. There's a poll for our listeners. How many of you? (laughs) (laughs) Carry a spare handcuff key in your wallet. Just in case. Just in case. And those are some, uh, some fine Texas ladies there. Oh gosh, Texas here we go. He opens up my baby's carburetor. Come on, baby. <laughs> Arrogance. Yes, 
demands cologne that primes pistons. Yes, that makes spark plugs grow hotter and that improves your engine's performance. <laughs> I love it. And now, put the brakes on the mundane and accelerate into the fast lane with arrogance. All right, How many times did y'all have to do that shot before you realized you got to have the girl hold the arrogance? No, we were good. We were good. Uh, oof. Wow. I didn't know that one was in there. You didn't like that one? That was great. Don't concern yourself with my business, but I picked up something out there tonight. I noticed some flaws. Rick Rude and I picked up wait, some flaws. Wait, wait a minute. What does Ravishing Rick Rude have to do with all this? If you'll keep your mouth shut, you might learn something. I noticed some weaknesses out there on the Ultimate Warrior. See, right now, Ravishing Rick Rude is going through the most extensive training an athlete has ever pushed himself to. And Ravishing Rick Rude is the only man ever to defeat you for a title, Ultimate Warrior. And just like he did it before, he can do it again. And he's going to lift that World Wrestling Federation Championship and bring it back to the Bobby Heenan family. Bobby Heenan, you might want to stay right here because you're about to hear a difference of opinion. Let's go to Mean Gene Oakland. Our congratulations. All right. So the stage is set. It looks like we've got WrestleMania behind us. SummerSlam seems to be taking shape. Uh, of course, we know what's coming. Rick Rude in a steel cage with the ultimate warrior. This is, uh, this is my favorite time, man, to be a wrestling fan. What'd you think watching this one back for the first time in 30 years? Well, it actually held up pretty damn good as a matter of fact, but it also made me go back to think of the Rick rude vignettes that we did building up to rude's return and the transformation in his body and just the fun that Bobby Heenan and I had spending a week in Tampa doing vignettes and it was a damn good time and some really fun shit. Yeah. Go, uh, go relive it this weekend. Uh, you, you've got the little free time coming. Uh, why not check out SummerSlam 1990? We've talked about it a little bit in our archives and we've certainly, uh, covered a lot of the big matches, but you know, ultimate warrior, Rick Rude, steel cage, Hogan, earthquake, savage, dusty, um, that we, we should mention the rockers didn't wind up facing either one of those tag teams. It was power and glory. Mr. Perfect was in there with Texas tornado heart foundation did wind up working with demolition for a two out of three falls match for the tag titles. So the stage is set, man, 1990. And here we go saying adios. We're going to track this with Vince and Jesse. How about going off the air with drawings of, uh, Vince and Jesse, it looks just like Jesse, not so much Vince. And <laughs> then, uh, the carrot kiss with the horse and Jesse, God, damn, Jesse was dying to do that, man. Y'all were over the top with this one over the top. Well, it happens. Well, listen, I loved it, man. Uh, on a scale of, uh, one to 10, I'm going to give that about an eight. Uh, where would you land on, uh, this random episode of Saturday night's main event from 30 years ago? I'm going with an eight, too. <laughs> we finally agree. We do agree. And we agree that we agree, uh, to appreciate your support for adfreeshows.com. 
Uh, of course, with Bruce's schedule being busier than ever and uh, these unprecedented times, we haven't been able to get this one out as timely as we hoped. We hope that uh, it's uh, better late than never, and we're going to continue to work hard. Make some suggestions in the comments below if you've got some ideas of other things you would like for us to cover. We've got the rest of the year mapped out, but if you've got a better idea, we will pivot, my friends. We want to give you what you guys are digging. We'd like to, or I would like to at some point, Watch SummerSlam 92. Uh, I'd like to talk about Kerry Von Erich. I'd like to talk about Andre the Giant. I'd like to hit Survivor Series 91. Uh, and of course, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I wanted to talk about Miss Elizabeth. Uh, so hopefully we can fit all of those in there. And it might be fun to watch some global wrestling. But if you've got some different ideas, hit us in the comments below. And we appreciate your support. It means a lot uh, for both Bruce's family and mine. Wouldn't you agree, Bruce? Absolutely. Love it. Thank you guys very much. Until next time, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. Uh, we'll talk to you soon right here on adfreeshows.com. Hey, man, you want to get over with the wife? Give her some of that magic spoon. No, I'm not talking about something else. I'm talking about actual cereal, all right? Here's the deal. Cereal is something that's probably not a big deal in your house unless you have little kids because little kids like me, man, we all loved it. And then you grow up and you realize, uh, I can't keep eating this. Well, now you can, thanks to magic spoon. And I'm telling you, I'm over like Rover in my household because my wife loves the blueberry. My mom is digging the frosted. I'm still rocking that fruity or the cocoa. There's four amazing flavors here that you can enjoy with zero sugar. You heard me zero sugar. How's it even possible? 12 grams of protein. That's right. Cereal with protein. You're going to get a great start to your day with that. And there's only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It tastes amazing. It really is too good to be true. But if you're on a special diet, check this out. It's keto friendly. It's gluten free. It's grain free. It's soy free. It's low carb and GMO free. I can't recommend this enough. It's been a game changer for breakfast in my house and it will be for your house too. It tastes great. It's easy and you get to enjoy it guilt-free and you actually feel better or at least i do when you have breakfast in the morning i think everybody knows it's the most important meal of the day blah 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 well dude how about 12 grams of protein in your cereal go to magicspoon.com wrestle and grab your variety pack and try it today be sure to use our promo code wrestle at checkout and get yourself some free shipping and by the way magic spoon is so confident in their product it's packed by a 100 happiness guarantee so if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash wrestle and use the code wrestle for free shipping. And we thank magic spoon for sponsoring the podcast and well, helping us get over at home a little bit. And I got to tell you everything about the look and feel of those old Saturday night's main events just hits me right in the feels, the theme song, the characters, I was like at the height of my fandom. Seriously, the height of my fandom for all of professional wrestling. I'm like 89, 90, 91. And I often say that, you know, 1989 is my favorite year, but I think you could really probably convince me that as a kid, 90 or 91 was better. I just think when I look back, some of the matches in 89, but I mean, Hulk Hogan and Mr. Perfect out first and earthquake was such a big character in this time, you know, as he marches towards SummerSlam and. Uh, hillbilly Jim was on his way out, but a nice guy to work with quake and the heart foundation and the rockers with all that interference. I mean, it's the best tag team era, maybe ever so much good stuff. 
Uh, but without further ado, we're going to get to our main event today. I got to tell you this originally was something that I wasn't sure would catch on. I just always thought, you know, it's not really fair that all these guys take the, the payday for the shoot interviews. And sometimes they go shit on everybody and, uh, there's some truth to it. And sometimes they're just looking to get rebooked. But what sucks is we never hear back from the person they're talking to. So what if we just played the clip and let them respond? And to my surprise, Eric had a lot of fun and so did our supporters over at adfreeshows.com. I can't recommend it enough. Check it out. If you haven't already, there's multiple episodes of this. We've even had Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross in on it, but man, Eric Bischoff, woof, lots of fun. Also want to mention Eric's podcast with me, uh, happens. That's not proper English. You know what I mean? We have a podcast boys and girls. It's Mondays. It's called 83 weeks right here on Westwood one. And, uh, you can get, uh, the next episode early and ad free this weekend over at adfreeshows.com. But, uh, I know it's a little bit of a curveball to play some Eric Bischoff content, but I thought, you know what, since we're paying a playing a bonus STW from ad free shows, let's go ahead and do one that everybody will dig. Eric fires back without further ado. Here we go. Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. And you're listening to 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff on Patreon. Of course, we're talking about a bonus piece here on adfreeshows.com that I'm calling Eric fires back. And we hope this is volume one, uh, Eric, it's probably no surprise to you that, uh, quite a few former WCW performers have taken the payday to sit in front of a camera and shit on you. And well, we call it a shoot interview and you've even done some shoot interviews back when you were knee deep in WCW and you heard about the rise of this concept of guys just shitting on each other on a video cassette through RF video. And it was being framed as a shoot interview. What did you think of them then? And has your opinion of a shoot interview changed over the years? What did I think of them then? Um, you know, I think disappointed, I think is probably the first thing that comes to my mind. I, I think most of the shoot interviews that I saw early on were a joke. They were really just a platform for talent that wasn't associated with a wrestling company that really didn't have any relevance in the industry anymore um, to get out and rewrite their own personal history or vent their personal issues. And most of them were, they were like really bad wrestling promos. For, for the most part, so many of them that I saw early on were challenged. And this is still true today. And it, 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 it exists on a lot of different levels even now. So many uh, of the interviews that I saw from people and heard from people about what was going on in WCW or from a business perspective, you know, talking about things that they had no idea what they were talking about. Let, let, again, let's put this in context. 99.9% of the talent, I would say probably 100%, but I'm going to leave a margin for, for error there, of the talent in WCW had no idea how WCW operated from a corporate point of view. They had no idea where the opportunities were, where the problems were, they had no idea who people like Vicki Miller were or Terry McGurk was 
or Scott Sasso was. They possibly knew the names, particularly of someone like Scott Sasso, because he was corporately pretty high profile internally. But so many of the people that were instrumental in actually pulling the strings for WCW uh, or, or, or trying to undermine WCW from a corporate point of view. You know, Harry Anderson is another name that comes to mind. These were all people that I don't care if you're Chris Jericho or, or who you are. You know, I, I don't mean to single out Chris by any stretch, but an example of talking about, you know, some of the dysfunction from an internal point of view of, of WCW, but yet they had no idea who, how, or why those conditions existed, but they spoke as if they did. They like to present the the appearance of these shoot interviews that they had, you know, really strong insight as to how WCW was working. And I think Chris Jericho comes to mind simply because of, and, and, and it's a, you know, he was absolutely correct and he, he was telling the truth, but there was an incident where he got a merchandise check that was like completely off the wall and nobody had any answers for him. And, and I understand from a talent's point of view, how frustrating that would be and how, you would almost find humor in it if it wasn't so, if, if it didn't affect your money. But, you know, understanding or, or, or experiencing the problems that existed internally in WCW is a far different conversation than a discussion as to how or why or who was responsible for some of those things. So I think in all of the conversations that I've heard, not all of them, but most of the shoot interviews that I heard, I heard so many people talking about the business side of WCW that had no fucking clue. 80 mm. or 90% of the talent never interfaced with anybody in WCW unless they were at a television taping or at a house show taping. It wasn't like, you know, talent worked inside of the office. So that their opinions and their perceptions of what was going right and what was going wrong and who is responsible for what and how decisions made were completely unfounded. So just at, at, at its core, most of the conversations at their core, most of the conversations that I heard were people talking about things that they knew nothing about and then weaving their own personal opinions and venting and trying to keep themselves relevant by doing a good wrestling promo. And, and that's what most of those shoot interviews to me have, have, no, I haven't sat down and watched all of them clearly. And I, I've only sampled a few of them. And usually I can only get through, <laughs> you know, four or five minutes before my head starts to explode, which, you know, doesn't forecast well for what this show is going to end up being like, but I'm, I'm going to do my best not to let my head explode, not to overreact, not to go off on rants, not to get pissed off. I really, I, I, I've literally, I've been sitting for an hour as I'm sucking down caffeine, preparing myself mentally for this show, much like I would preparing myself to go in for an IRS audit. <laughs> so I'm, I just have to be in the right frame of mind and hopefully that I am. And um, hopefully we'll be able to do more of these and it won't require therapy or excessive amounts of Jameson or, you know, hit off the vape pen to get over all of this. I don't know, but we're going to give it a try. Well, listen, I'm excited that we're taking a stab at this. Uh, you and I were joking off air that uh, as controversial of a figure as you were once upon a time. We could probably do one of these every month until we stop the podcast, which we uh -huh. hope is never, but 
No, uh, no, no. We're never going to stop the podcast. Here's what I figured out, Conrad, not to cut you off, which I always do. And I apologize in advance for doing it throughout the show, probably. But when we're all done, when when we've covered everything there is to cover, version 2.0 is going to be hypothetically 83 weeks where we can go back and literally rebook kind of fantasy booking based on what we know now and all of the things that I would have loved to change if I would have been in that frame of mind, if I lived in that frame of mind, but we'll, we'll actually sit down and go over these shows and you can, you can tell me how you would book, for example, Star K 98. And I'll tell you how I would rebook it with 2020 hindsight. I think that would be fun. That's a great idea. And I don't think we're, done by any stretch of the imagination oh no 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 i'm no but you know like on my 75th birthday for (laughs) 10 years 10 years from now when when we're sitting around we go okay we got to do a show what should we talk about oh we talked about that oh we already covered that already covered i figured we've got a good eight or ten years before we hit that point but i'm ready i'm already i'm already going back to like 1994 and and starting to rethink you know if i would have known then what i know now how would I book this show mm. or how would I have asked other people <laughs> to book this show? And I think, actually, I think that would be fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. And, uh, I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am today. I, I don't think this is going to be as fun for you. I've selected a few different takes. We're going to try to hit a little bit of everybody as much as we can today. So first up, Eric, we're going to uh, go to the guy who, uh, probably had the most legendary shoot interviews of all time and not much has changed. Mr. Jim Cornette. Uh, now this sample is going to be, uh, from an offering from our friends at kfabecommentaries.com. I know you've done some work with Sean Oliver before, uh, of everyone that does these shoot interviews. I think Sean does them best. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I would, you know, he, Sean doesn't really have an agenda and he he comes at the process from a pretty balanced perspective, but Sean is a businessman, and mm-hmm. he was doing these interviews to to make money. And clearly, the more controversial, bombastic, um, and ridiculous these interviews were, the better for, for Sean. The more money he made, the more popular they became. But I, I think you know the wrestling audience. I think. Loves hearing these kind of interviews and the idea. I think of a shoot interview. Uh, it just the term kind of pisses me off because you're kind of you're you're embracing kind of the inner work. You're 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 embracing part of the language of the inner circle of wrestling, and by calling something a shoot interview, you're characterizing it as real and honest and out of character. And in the case of Jim Cornette, it's not out of character. Jim is Jim 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So there was no unique perspective. It's not like we were only used to hearing Jim in a character that is 180 degrees from the real life or shoot. God, I hate using that term interview um, format. You know, Jim is Jim. He's he he's he doesn't change, you know, whether he's on in front of a camera or whether he's, you know, uh, spouting something off online or in social media. But, um, yeah, I, I could see why Jim would be a great candidate for for Sean, because he's 
probably in this format, probably one of the more articulate and entertaining people out there. I, I often get a kick out of listening to some of Jim's rants. Not that I agree with any of it, just because sometimes they're so absurd, but they flow so well. Yeah. <laughs> they're entertaining. They do. Well, listen, up first is uh, him describing the first time he met you, or at least had a conversation with you. And uh, it wasn't exactly uh, pleasant at least from his side of things, he, uh, had agreed to come in and do some things with Bill Watts and sort of do like a little, um, invasion angle, if you will, of smoky mountain wrestlers. And they were going to crap on and talk disparagingly about WCW on WCW programming to build some heat for the angle. And then when Bill's out and you're in some of that stuff disappears and Cornet takes great issue with it. So here we go. When it aired on TV, it was edited. That was actually the, the one thing that led to Watts calling me and say, I'm going home because he was supposed to have full control. It was edited. They, they bleeped the audio of me talking about how bad I hated Herd and the company and what the, how they'd screwed us around and everything and neutered the angle. And some little, he, they told Watts, they lied to him. They said, oh, it was a directional microphone. It didn't pick it up. No, they had gone in and post and taken the audio out. And I told him that, and that's what he was investigating, and that's when this other shit blew up, and he was about to go home. So my little birds told me, well, Eric Bischoff is down in TV production. He's the one that made that call. <clears throat> so Eric Bischoff is walking by me in the locker room. I said, Eric, we never met. He said, yes, because he'd walked by me a couple times. I said, uh, somebody buried you to me. Would you like a rebuttal? He said, what do you mean? I said, somebody told me you were responsible for editing the the angle we did on TV. Well, uh, you know, we, we took something that we thought that it was uh, kind of uh, downplaying or down knocking the company and it was kind of strong and it was this and that. I said, that's what it was supposed to be, Nimrod, because we were trying to make it a shoot. We were trying to make people believe that we were really mad because that's the kind of thing that sells tickets. I said, since I already cleared everything I was going to say with Bill Watts, the horse's head, I didn't know that I needed to clear things with the horse's ass. But you don't need to worry about that because now that Bill's gone, we're out of here too because I don't trust any of you motherfuckers. And I didn't want to come back here except for him anyway, so this is the last time you're going to see us, so good day to you, sir. And I walked off and left the fucking prick. Hi, Eric. Fuck you. You fucking bitch. You little whiny little bitch. Hashtag whiny little bitch. <laughs> I'm so glad you picked this one first. This is so much fun. Did you see the table for three, Conrad, that I did with Michael Hayes and Jim Cornette a couple of years ago? I did. It was glorious. Now, you know, Jim said a lot there. So I, 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 I hate to use the term unpacking things because it's overused. But let's take that. Let's break it down kind of one comment at a time if we can. Uh-huh. Number one, he suggested that Bill Watts left on his own volition because he didn't have as much control as Bill Watts wanted to have. We know that's not true. Okay. Well, we're starting out. The very opening statement is complete fabricated nonsense. It's bullshit. So when, when you start an interview out, any kind of interview, Unless you're a heel and you're intentionally lying in your interview to get heat as a part of a storyline, you know, that is probably an exception. But in this case, this is supposed to be a shoot interview 
which is the truth or the inside, the unvarnished, unfiltered facts and truth about a situation. And in this case, Jim Cornette, who is, I, I think he is a lot more in common with Vince Russo than he cares to believe in, in terms of believing his own bullshit, is telling you a story that is fundamentally provable and and and, and well documented as a lie. The very premise of his opening statement is a complete fucking lie. That's number one. Number two, the incident that he described in such detail about first meeting me in a locker room never happened. Had had Jim Cornette said something like that to me, my response would have been legendary. Not saying I would have gotten physical, but I would have pushed it verbally to the point where I would be hoping that he would throw a punch or do something physical, would have, which would have given me the ability to at least argue that I was defending myself. I would have enjoyed every moment of that. And this isn't Eric thinks he's a tough guy shit, right? That stuff, I've said this before, that's so far in my rearview mirror, I can't even see it anymore. However, <laughs> in that moment, at that time, in the early 90s, Dealing with a guy like Jim Cornette would not have been anything more than mm, recreational for me at that point. It never happened. It never freaking happened. And what I like about this comment from Jim, especially starting off this show, and the reason I ask you if you saw the table for three, because Jim, you know, reached into his bag of tricks, you know, stories that he's told that he feels, you know, get a response and put himself over or whatever his agenda is. And I didn't, I was sitting at the table and I'm listening to Jim. Now in this shoot interview, and I really, or shoot interview, table for three interview, I really encourage people to go back to the WWE Network and watch it for themselves and look at the look on Jim's face. When Michael Hayes says, but wait a minute, Jim, all these things you're, you're, you're describing, you're saying about Eric editing out something that you and Bill Watts agreed to, Eric wasn't in charge then. Eric didn't have the ability to change a television show then, which was actually very true and, and 100% accurate. If it is, and I'm not even sure if a decision was ever made, by the way. I, you know, this big OVW invasion, whatever the whatever he whatever Jim has created in his own mind. I'm not saying it's all, you know, I'm not I'm not saying none of it is true. There may have been a discussion. There may have been an attempt between Bill and Jim. I don't know. I wasn't, you know, I, I was so far outside of the the booking decisions and the creative decisions and any decisions that were being made in WCW, why Bill Watts was in charge, that, that it could have very well, they could have had a conversation and it could have been an attempt. But my point is, my ability to walk into an edit bay and say, mm, I don't think we want to do that, was so far outside of my scope of responsibilities, it's fucking laughable. And I think exposes Jim for what a, uh, what a carny fraud he really is. And he is. He is a carnival fucking fraud. And this is a perfect example of it. 
Now, in the part that I really enjoyed, and by the way, I'm going to go back for the table of three. So as we're sitting there and I'm listening and, you know, Jim and I shook hands before the table of three and, you know, we had agreed we're going to do this. And, you know, I was looking forward to it because I really hadn't had any interactions with Jim face to face. The truth of the story is the only time that I was in physical proximity to Jim Cornette while he was associated in any way with WCW was very early on. I don't recall the event, uh, the the pay-per-view. I think it might have been in Chattanooga shortly after I got there. And Jim was a part of that. And he was sitting in a chair as I was walking by. And I think we both nodded at each other. And that was it. That was the only time I was in any physical presence at all of Jim Cornette. And so, so his description of the conversation and the shit that he said to me is just him blowing himself. Which I'm not going to comment on that right now, but maybe we'll get into that before this is over. It, it's just such in the context of it being a shoot interview is so much horseshit. It's it's not it doesn't anger me. It makes me laugh. And I only hope that people go back, like I say, watch the table for three when 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 Michael Hayes says, but wait a minute, wait a minute, Jim, Eric wasn't even in charge then. And you could see there's not a lot of color in Jim's face. I, I, I think he's you know, I don't think he sees a lot of sunlight, but you could see whatever color was left in his face just drained out of him. And he looked like. He, he didn't know what to say. If you can imagine that, Jim Cornette not knowing what to say. And the other part of this that I really like is when he, and I busted his balls on this a couple of times afterwards, his little birds, his little stooges. Well, first of all, who do you think they were? Just commenting on recent events. But he, he, and I've said this before, Conrad, I know you're sick of hearing it because I'm sick of hearing myself say it. But when you rely on little birds, as Jim liked to call them, or stooges, as I refer to them, you're getting information that your little birds, whatever their motivations, <laughs> and your stooges, likewise, are tell- they're, they're telling you things they think you want to hear. So they can get a little closer to you. So they remain in your your proximity and 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 maintain you know kind of a relationship with you for whatever reason. It's just bullshit. I had zero influence over what went on creatively in television after Bill Watts left. I didn't even get the job as executive producer to quite a while after Jim or after Bill Watts left. And in my scope of responsibilities, I, as an executive producer, I could decide where we were going to shoot a show. I could decide how to tweak the format of a show, meaning the structure of it, not the content of it, the structure of it, how we open the show, how we close the show, if we we're going to use bumpers, if we're not going to use bumpers, new graphics, not new graphics, that type of thing. The, the, the technical aspects of television, I, was, I had complete control over the content of the show. What went in it, whether it was wrestling matches or I had no ability to hire and fire talent. I had no influence on that. Nobody even asked my opinion about those things. Nobody asked my opinion about creative. That wasn't my role, especially when I first started. Now, that changed over time. Certainly, it changed a lot towards the end of 93 and 94, obviously afterwards. But at the times, the specific time frame that – 
that Jim, the fantasy that Jim Cornette lives within during that period of time, I had absolutely no control. And when Michael Hayes pointed it out, it just took the air out of Cornette. He just turned into it. He was like a puppy that pissed on the carpet and knew he was going to get whacked alongside of the head with a rolled up newspaper. He really is. He really is a weak minded individual. And you can always tell with a guy, you know, when guys talk about, and you know this, you know, you and I had an incident about a year and a half ago where I said something about Jim living off his mommy and daddy's money because he doesn't really make any on his own. And he took huge offense to that. He was going to beat my ass with a baseball bat. And I t- when you called me and told me that, I said, what was it, Conrad? Maybe you can remember. It was like he was going to give me two choices. Either call him and apologize or meet me with a baseball bat. And I had a, I hung up and I said, okay, I got to think about that one because one sounds fun and one just makes it go away. <laughs> you know, and I, I thought, God, I, one of these days somebody's going to call that punk ass little bitch out and just beat his ass because he's Jim Cornette is he's a he's a gutless little punk that tries to intimidate and bully people. And I'm sure, Conrad, you know people like this. Anytime when someone's first immediate go-to is, yeah, I'm going to grab a baseball bat, take your kneecaps out. Okay, well, what you really are is a gutless little punk that tries to intimidate people so you don't really have to confront anything. And it probably works with the little birds that Jim and his wife like to hang out with in the hot tub. That's I'm sure those you know those people love to feed Jim information to kind of stay in the universe and the the Jim Cornette cocoon. But it was such absolute horseshit and and provably fiction, provable fiction that it, it it's more funny than anything. Oh man. I don't know if I regret this yet, but let's keep going. Uh, <laughs> Come on, let's stir it up. Let's well, let's have some fun. Next up, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Bret Hart says Eric Bischoff killed wrestling. Let's take a listen. They were so bad. They'd kill any hope in anybody. They'd destroy anybody. Wow. I don't have a good thing to say about Eric Bischoff or anything he ever did. That guy was, talk about the Midas touch. He was the opposite. <laughs> he could kill your career. He was too stupid to know what a career was or that, that actual passion. Yeah. Like a- if you have passion for your matches and you have a, a genius for, for, for wrestling talent, didn't mean anything to Eric Bischoff. He, he was the worst loser maggot that ever got into wrestling he was just the worst i have nothing he's a nice enough guy but he was <laughs> he was just the worst he was i feel so bad because i went to wcw really wanting to make a difference and i think if you look at wcw and all the names that they had and all the wrestlers and all the other things they had everything all they needed was somebody that knew what to do like uh, someone with half a yeah, brain and i would think that after what happened to you you would want to go to wcw and shove it up vince's ass right right that would you be know, the plan, and then yeah. you're not. You I've can't. Seen Eric Bischoff. I've I've heard his quote, which is probably why I get pretty hostile about Eric Bischoff. About Bret Hart came here, he was like a broken toy, or he didn't. That's what he said. Have the same fire. Like I could strangle him when I hear him say that, because it's like that is so not true. I was like on fire, wanting to. I wanted to take the world on. I wanted to take that whole company. I wanted to 
kick Vince right in the teeth and give him like the best matches. I'll Booker T, give me Benoit, give me Sting, give me Hogan, give me all these guys. We can and we'll turn this thing. Let's get this thing really rocking here. Mm -hmm. And he was such an idiot. I mean, I have I would say all that right to him if he was sitting there. You, I believe you. You are an idiot, and you cost everybody. Like, look at wrestling today; it's a monopoly. Yeah. So the wrestlers themselves have no leverage of any kind. They can't. It's like, oh, if you don't pay me, I'm going to go to WCW like the old days. That kept every. That was so much better for the wrestlers because then we have a bargaining table. But uh, today, no, and that's all Eric Bischoff's fault. He killed the wrestling business. Wow. He was the worst. That's Bret Hart talking to great friend of the show, Sam Roberts. He has a tremendous wrestling podcast. I highly recommend check it out. Not Sam is what you need to throw in your search engine to get more great interviews from Sam. Now that we've told everybody where they can hear Sam, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about Brett, knowing that I think a couple of years ago over in the UK, you guys sort of kissed and made up and then we hear something like this. still floating around. That's got to sting a little bit. It really doesn't. It doesn't. And I think anybody that's a now listen, if you're a hardcore Bret Hart fan, you're going to believe every word you're going to agree with his point of view. You're, you're, I mean, if, if you're that much of a Bret Hart fan, you're probably not going to think or listen objectively to those comments. And that's okay. It's just, that's life, right? Um, it doesn't make me mad at all. Um, because I think anybody that is honest with themselves and objective, which is hard to do in wrestling, because it's it's it, it by design, it's 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 a it's a divisive kind of form of entertainment, um, and people thrive on that divisiveness, which is why things like shoot interviews, you know, have a niche in in the marketplace. But if you've listened to Bret Hart's interviews over the years. Brett always has to have someone to hate. He has to have someone to blame. He has to have someone, whether it's me, whether it's Hulk Hogan, whether it's Bill Goldberg, whether it's Vince McMahon, whether it's Shawn Michaels, it does, whether it's Ric Flair, he had the same issues with Ric Flair, whether it's Mick Foley, it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, who is his, you know, heat du jour? Who does he have heat with today? You know what's on the menu today? That, that Bret Hart can go out and 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 have these kind of interviews that makes himself feel above it all, and it's everybody else's responsibility. Everything is everybody else's fault. Nothing that that went wrong in Bret Hart's career, including in WWF, has anything to do with him. It was all Vince McMahon. It's all Shawn Michaels. It's all Hulk Hogan. It's all this guy. It's all that guy. He's always blaming somebody else. And that's just a, a big hole in the soul of Bret Hart that he's trying to fill with hate and, and blame. And, and it, 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 may, it doesn't make me angry. It doesn't make me mad. It makes me sad for Bret because I can't imagine walking around with all of that contempt and anger and resentment in, in my mind. And it, 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 I just wouldn't, I couldn't imagine carrying that around. It, it must be very dark most of the time to beat Bret Hart. It must be a cloudy day in his universe almost every day. 
if you're walking around with that. And it's it you know he does again. Here's Bret Hart, a guy who had absolutely zero knowledge of how WCW was structured, of how it operated, of what the the business challenges were. Zero. The guy would show up looking like he slept in a gutter for three days, like he'd been on a bender, not suggested he was because Brett wasn't a drinker that I was ever aware of, but he'd just, he'd show up. He, he looked like a wet Afghan that had been sleeping outside in a, in a gutter somewhere. He'd show up and he'd mope around. And this is in the beginning. He didn't come in there full of fire. He didn't come in there and say, hey, give me this guy, give me that guy. No, I, I do believe that when Brett first made the move, first made that decision to come to WCW, I believe him when he says, you know, he, he, what he's really saying is he wanted revenge. He, he wanted to teach Vince McMahon a lesson, which in and of itself is kind of like the, the wrong way to go about things. But I understand it. I understand it. But – Shortly thereafter, I mean, he was – it was like the walking dead whenever you would see Brett. He was expressionless. He didn't engage. He didn't insert himself. And, you know, one of the, one of the you know, the criticisms you, you'll often hear of me, and, and I think to a degree it's true, um, is that I was too accessible. I'd listen to everybody. And, and, and I was influenced by too many people. That's a valid criticism, by the way. I, I don't deny that. I was learning on the job. I talked to as many people as I could possibly talk to. I listened to ideas from a lot of different people. And I was influenced by ideas from a lot of people as I was kind of traversing this, this arc of, of becoming more and more involved in the, the creative side of the business, which I had no experience in up until around 95. Uh, I had no confidence in myself until probably into 96, well into 96, before I started feeling like I really deserved to be even at that table. And as a result of kind of learning on the job, yeah, I did talk to a lot of different people. But guess who wasn't one of them? Because he never spoke up. He never came to me with ideas. He never came to, he never stepped in, you know, while everybody's scrambling, we're changing TV, or we're trying to improve it, or we're changing things or adding things to a format. Now, Bret Hart was never one of the guys like a Hulk Hogan or like a Ric Flair or, and even less so Ric Flair, uh, like a Scott Hall, uh, Bill Goldberg, you name it, a lot of the top tech, Chris Jericho, a lot of top talent would come and say, no, 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 I, I, know, I know you want me to do this, but what if we do it this way? Bret Hart was never one of those guys. He would find out what he was supposed to do that day, he would mope around for a little while, and he would disappear. Oh, by the way, he would show up 25 minutes before showtime or a half hour before showtime instead of when he was supposed to 75% of the time because his heart wasn't in it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not critical of him. I understand it. Brett went through a lot. He really saw himself as this massive Canadian hero. He really believed, and probably still does in his own mind, that he let down an entire country because of what happened in Montreal. I mean, it affected him to the point of, I'm not even sure it was healthy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't. But he was a shell of him, his former self. And although I do believe him when he says he wanted to kick Vince McMahon in the teeth, that's not a healthy way. That's, that's not necessarily a productive way of doing things. That was just a feeling that he had. But he didn't act on those feelings. Mm. He didn't come up with any ideas. He didn't come up. To, he didn't look at, at, at a storyline. Oh, no, man, that's not going to work. Why don't we do this instead? He never did that. 
when I when I went to him and said, look, I'm going to do this thing with Larry Zabisco. I want you to be the referee because giving what happened to you in Montreal, if there's ever anybody that's going to be a referee that's going to call it down the middle, it would be Brad Hart. And we weren't ready yet to introduce him in, in, into a storyline. This was the beginning of the three-act play, if you will. And oftentimes in the beginning of any story, movie, television, book, whatever, you know, you're, you're inciting incident, the thing that just makes, compels that story to, to, to move forward, isn't necessarily something explosive. And it, it, I'm not saying, I'm not justifying the idea, by the way, it was a bad idea. Let's just, I'll, I'll stipulate that right off the bat, Your Honor. However, you know, did Bret Hart come up and say, now I've got a better idea, let's do this instead? He didn't. And that's Brett's responsibility. So rather than taking responsibility for his own missteps, his own mistakes, his own shortcomings as a professional and as a performer, his tendency as a human being is to lash out at somebody. He's got to have someone to hate or he doesn't know how to start his day. And that's just unfortunate. And, and you know, as for, you know, the, the moment when, you know, Brett and I, you know, just had made up, as you pointed out. It was far from that. Um, we just kind of crossed paths intentionally on my part. I waited for him to get away from the group because we were sitting at a table, and Brett was a chair, one chair away from me sitting at the table, and everybody was having cocktails, and the mood was very good. It was a very – everybody's talking about the old times and having a blast, and you know, th there was no negativity at all, none whatsoever. Everybody was in a very festive mood and, and everybody was under control. It wasn't like everybody's drinking too much or crazy. It wasn't that. It, it was it was like uh, it was a group of guys getting together and having a couple beers. It, it was early in the evening. And when, when Bret Hart got up to go to use the restroom, I said, I said, look, I'm sitting here with him. It's, you know, there's an elephant in the room. It's awkward for both of us. I'm going to try it. And, and he was I think he was with his grandson. I said, I, I want to I want to lighten this up as best I can. I'm not going to get up and leave because he's here. I'm not going to do that. But I will make an attempt to at least make it more comfortable for everybody. And I and I said, Brett, you know, you do whatever you want to do. But going forward, you know, publicly, I'm just I'm, I'm just not going to take the low road with you. I'm, I'm just not. You have my word. And, and I guess to a degree, I'm probably going back on that right now. And I, I, I don't I don't mean to in a way because I understand I don't know Bret Hart real well, and I don't know him very well at all as a as a human being. All I know is the experiences I've had with him, and we did have some very deep and and personal conversations when he first came in, especially following the death of his of his brother. And I feel like I know him a little bit. Um, I think Brett's intentions are really good, and I think he he is a good human being. And he certainly was, from a technical perspective, not from a character perspective, but from a technical perspective, one of the best that's performed in the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And I respect the hell out of him for that. But I don't respect the tendency to blame everybody else and take no responsibility for the shortcomings in your life or in your career. And I think most people that listen to Brett's interviews – kind of feel the same. You know, he's a very bitter and, and maybe that's changed now. I noticed he's got some, a new social media platform and where he's going to talk about his life and his childhood and 
whatever else he's going to talk about. And I hope much like doing the show with you, Conrad, for me, you know, in the beginning doing 83 weeks and going back and revisiting all this stuff and listening to what Dave Meltzer said, and it, it was hard for me, you know, for the first few months. And then once I kind of put it all into context, it became a, cartho- a cathartic experience for me, meaning, you know, the more I talked about it, the more I went through it, the more I acknowledged my own shortcomings, my own mistakes, and had, you know, for lack of a better word, fun with it. Um all of a sudden it took on a whole different meaning for me. And now I, there's very few things that I enjoy just on a personal level, as much as I enjoy doing, you know, a look back at WCW with you on 83 weeks, even when it, you know, involves some dumb shit that I've done, but man, being able to take responsibility for your own shit is an important part of growing. And I hope that Brett's there. Cause I, part of me really likes Brett. I, I do. I, I miss the Brett Hart, that I mean, I've I've got a book. I'm it's right under the desk that I'm sitting here talking talking to you on. Um, it, it's Brett and I had a lot in common. I loved the American West history. I love Native American history. Still do to this day. One of my favorite books of all time is um, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by D. Brown. I probably read that book, and it's a big book. It's it's, it's an extensive history. I probably read that book no fewer than eight to 10 times over the last few years. And I'll probably read it again in, in over the course of the next year. But Brett had a lot of the same kind of interests. And he sent me a book uh, uh, about the history of the West. And he wrote a very nice inscription on it. And, you know, he sent me a, uh, a, a lever action model 94 Winchester. That was an absolute mint condition. And I, the, the serial numbers on it, um, identified it as a, as a, a rifle that had been made in the 1890s and it belonged to a local sheriff in California. And there was history to it. And he sent me that because he knew I loved, you know, the, the history of the old West. And I miss that guy because that guy, that Bret Hart is a really enjoyable person to be around. But when you get into the conversations about his career and, how he was wronged and how he was screwed and how this guy screwed him and that guy screwed him and this this guy's fault and that guy's fault. It 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 gets kind of uncomfortable, at least for me. And I, I avoid it. But I I I like Brett. I I, I know you people might not think that based on what I've said, but I've got to be honest about this stuff. I can't I can't sugarcoat a response when when I'm responding to something that I just heard. But I do like Brett and I wish him the best. And and I more than anything, I hope he's happy. I just hope he can find, I hope he can find happiness in whatever he does. Well, next up, we're going to turn the volume up and, uh, this is going to be something I'm going to ask you to interrupt because it's uh, a little longer. So when we get to the point where you're ready to respond, we'll take a break, let you respond to that. Then we'll keep it moving. This guy is, uh, Probably the reason we're even doing this. I've got two clips here. We're only going to play one. And this is Mike Graham, who once upon a time was uh, a player backstage for WCW. His dad, of course, was a major influence in professional wrestling, uh, especially in the state of Florida and Dusty Rhodes and on and on. So he's uh, somebody who knows a thing or two about wrestling, and he has some pretty strong opinions about Eric. Here we go. NMLS number 65084 Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! 
Of course, by now, everyone has heard about the historically low mortgage rates. In fact, a lot of families are getting interest rates in the twos. That's right, the twos. But just last week, one expert said that we're on borrowed time with these low rates. So if saving money is important to your family, the time to act is now. Find out how much money you can save right now by getting a better rate, skipping your next two house payments, and cutting years of unnecessary payments off of your loan at SaveWithConrad.com. Do you think anything could have been done to save WCW after Time Warner's involvement and the corporate structure? Fire everybody and start over. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Contracts. The biggest work at WCW, guys wanted to get hired, they would get a stupid contract and then never come to work. They'd stub their toe and they'd go to a doctor and the doctor would write a little note saying, oh, if he hurts his toe, it could cause permanent damage. And Turner, TBS, was horrified of lawsuits. Horrified. They did not want a lawsuit. So... At one time, Sting, Lex, uh, Steiner, uh, like the the so-called ten main event guys, eight of them were on leave, mm. and they were all making six hundred to a million dollars a piece a year and not coming to work. Oh. Oh. The, the the medium guys. Okay, we're gonna have to break this one down in pieces because there's obviously way too much to cover here. So. I was afraid and aware that something like this was going to come up. And before I respond, gosh, I, 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 I sound like Dr. What is it? Dr. Oz here? Maybe a little <laughs> or bit. Oprah? I, I don't mean to, but let, let me figure out how I want to say this. I normally don't respond to comments or questions about people who are no longer with us, unless it's positive, mm. right? I just, it's, it's, I don't know why, but I've always believed firmly that you don't talk about people who have since passed on, who still have family that are here that may or may not hear or read something that anybody would say about someone who's passed on. I'm sensitive to that. Um, but I think in Mike's case, let's be honest, there was a mental illness issue here. Maybe it was a mental illness. Maybe it was some other kind of condition that was hereditary, I guess. But Mike Graham's grandfather committed suicide by shooting himself. Mike Graham's father killed himself by shooting, by combination of alcohol and and uh, shot himself. Mike Graham's son did the same thing. And so did Mike. There's something there. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I have no training in anything when it comes to behavior and and addictions and mental illness. I have zero. But I don't think you have to have any experience or, or knowledge or training to look at the obvious and connect a couple dots and say, wow, there's something, there was something really, really wrong here. And, and I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw it into a mental illness category. And that may not be appropriate to the professionals that are out there that may listen to this. If there's another category for it, please accept my apologies, but it makes it even more difficult for me to, to comment the way I normally would on something like this. So I'm going to be as factual as I can, and I'm going to edit out my personal feelings as best I can. In fairness to our, our our listeners, I will respond to it. Normally, I wouldn't, and you know that. 
when Mike Graham, some of what Mike said was true. Some of it you've heard me talk about, how litigation adverse Mm -hmm. Turner Broadcasting was. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's also true that talent took advantage of their guaranteed contracts. That's true. It was true before I got there. It was true while I was there as a talent. It was true while I was there as the president of the company. It was an inherent situation in, in WCW. Less so while I was running the company. Than it was prior to. Now, who was running the company? You know, when 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 Mike Graham says these guys were making six hundred no million dollars a year. I'm sorry, none of the talent prior to '96 '97, Sting included, was making a million dollars a year. So it's just not true. Now, maybe Mike was kind of shifting in and out of, you know, the '97 '98 '99 kind of era and shifting back into, you know, the early 90s era. I, I don't know what was going through Mike's mind, obviously. But, you know, the, the response is, what, what would you have done to change things? Fire everybody, start over. Well, that sounds good, right? That just sounds like, here's a guy that was, would have been in control, that would have known how to do it. This guy, Mike Graham, could have saved WCW if someone would have just listened to him. The fact is, Mike Graham was part of the problem. It just is. Mike Graham was Dusty's boy, which is the only reason Mike Graham was there in the first place, because of his relationship with Dusty. Not because he was good at what he did, not because he had a lot of great, fresh, new ideas, not because he was innovative, because he was Dusty's boy. That's it. And and, and, and Mike Graham's experience and his ability to contribute in the mid-90s, the late 90s in particular, when things were really rolling, Mike Graham had the same point of view as a lot of guys who had had the peak of their career for them personally happened in the 70s and early 80s. And Mike was still living in that moment. He was still living in that frame of mind. And every idea that I ever heard Mike come up with, everything that Mike ever suggested was suggested was rooted in Florida championship wrestling kind of mentality and thinking, meaning a, a weekly territory, by the way. Not long-term booking, not storylines, not arcs. It was all, you know, week-to-week, hotshot finishes. Okay, this happened this week. Now let's Start all over again next week because he, he had that weekly territory mentality that was – And it, it, by the way, when I say weekly territory mentality, that's not necessarily a knock. It's just a fact because in the southeast, when wrestling was hot in the 70s and the 80s, there were so many – you know, small towns because of the way, you know, the population is kind of condensed in, in the Southeast and the Northeast, by the way, there's just a lot of really cool markets that are spread out within 110, 120 miles. So you could do, you know, you could wrestle five nights a week and only have to put out 150 or 200 miles a day to do it. Whereas if you get into the Midwest and certainly out West that you didn't have that ability, even up in Minnesota, you didn't have that ability. Verne's territory was more of a monthly territory. So the storylines and the way they presented stories and angles and so forth had a much different feel than those that that took place in a weekly territory. And that's not a flaw or criticism of anybody. That's just the way the wrestling business was back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, when when Mike Graham got his start. Mike Graham was also he was always the little guy and he was always Eddie Eddie Graham's kid. He never really broke out of that. And, and I'm sure 
Conrad, most of us have known people throughout our lives in and out of the wrestling business that have that Napoleon syndrome. And it's most evident when they drink. You know, you start out with having having a couple cocktails with somebody that you work with, and they're they're fun. You're a nice guy. They're laughing. They're joking. They're cutting up. They're having a good time. About four drinks later, they turn into a mean, nasty fucker. That was Mike Graham. He, the more he drank, the angrier he got. And I think it, it it to me at least, even back then, before I really thought about these types of things too much, it reflected to me a guy who was very very insecure. And, and very unhappy with himself and living in the shadow of someone that he never believed he could fulfill, you know, the, the, the expectations and, and, and the shadow, he could never light up that shadow of, of, of his father that he was in. And I think it frustrated him. And I think it's evidence in a, in a lot of the things that we just heard and about to hear. Let's get back to it. All the Mexicans from Mexico was making 150 grand a year and they were used for TV. I mean, the, the the contracts were just absolutely bizarre. Where did the buck stop? Who offered a contract? Who granted um, Vampiro $150,000 a year? Eric Bischoff. Beginning and end, Eric Bischoff. Uh, if, if he liked you or thought you'd give him some money back or whatever, he'd give you big numbers. I mean, and it's a known fact, I'm not saying anything. Sting's music, Flair's music, Eric Bischoff bought into a music company in 99 or 2000. And about 2000 is when everybody's music was redone. Mmm. Mmm. I wonder why their music was redone. And he was signing the checks to have the music redone. Sending checks to the company that he owned. When, when, when New World Order huge Japan wanted t-shirts our partners in Japan wanted t-shirts <laughs> Eric sold the WCW t-shirt rights and marketing rights to one of his friends in dipshit Montana or something so Eric then whoa, 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 whoa. sold all the marketing stuff whoa 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 this is this is so bizarre that I've got, I've got to respond in pieces. I, this is the first time I have ever heard that I owned a part of a music company. It's been out there for a long time. I, I don't know if you remember, it's but probably, it's probably been out there because of this interview. Sure. But it's not true. Yeah. Music was redone. Um, Turner we we in WCW because of Jimmy Hart, by the way. So if there was any relationship at all to to the truth in, in the context of what Mike is talking about here, it was because Jimmy Hart convinced us that we could create our own music and own the publishing rights. And down the road, there would be money that we would be making just off the publishing rights for the music. That So again, there was a, a kernel, it's a very small one, maybe a grain of truth to, to what Mike is saying, but the way he builds upon it is so ridiculous. A contact that I had in Montana to, to start a music company that I owned. First of all, if, if anybody thinks that Turner Broadcasting was 
even at its height, height of dysfunctional or, or, or dysfunctionality or WCW for that matter. If anybody thinks that I could have pulled off something like that, creating a music company, creating the own, uh, you know, having somebody else create the music and then leasing it or, or, or assigning those rights back to WCW for use on Turner Broadcasting TNT Network without somebody in, in Turner, Turner Legal seeing that and saying, uh-uh, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Just common sense. Take yourself out of the emotion and your desire to want to believe something as crazy as this, because there's a you know there's a little bit of conspiracy theory theorists in all of us, I think, sure. to one degree or another. Just set that aside, you know, and listen to what he's saying, and ask yourself, could it even really have happened? And in this case, where I'm starting a music company that I own a percentage of, which, by the way, that would mean that there's a corporation, there was a legal entity set up somewhere. That would mean that there are contracts between that entity and WCW, right? That would that would mean that there would be agreements with that that entity that's creating and 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 owns that music, and then entering into rights with BMI or ASCAP or any one of the other music companies that are in charge of kind of managing rights issues as it relates to music and television and entertainment. There would be a record of that somewhere, and the reason there isn't, and the reason this is just kind of like. Uh, shoot chatter and and shoot manure. That's a good one. Shoot manure. That's what these things really are. Um, the fact that it's out there is just, it's Mike living in his own mind. You know, it's Mike trying to get himself over. It's Mike trying to feel way more important than deep down inside. He knew he ever was. He was nothing more than Dusty's boy. His contributions were limited at best to perhaps an idea or two when he was booking with Dusty that, that Dusty might have integrated. And that was a conversation. Yeah, that's a conversation that none of us will ever have because both parties are no longer with us. But Mike Graham, it's unfortunate that he went down this kind of path towards the end of his life because it, I think it really reflects badly on him. This is just so obviously horseshit. Well, the hits keep coming. Let's go back to it. To his friends... And then his friends sold them to the people in Japan. He used, Eric was selling shit to him for $5 a shirt, and he was selling them for $25 a shirt. And Eric was 50% owners in that. Oh, my God! Okay, we got to stop. We got to stop. I mean, this is actually funny. This is so stupid, it's funny. So I was 50% owners in a company in Japan. Again, news to me and to the IRS and to my accountants and to my wife. Um, I was supposedly, according to Mike, 50% owners of a company in Japan. So we would sell the NWO merchandise to that company, and then they in turn would sell it to New Japan. I got news for you. Again, this is bullshit. This is the depths of, this is almost psychosis here, not the rest of the condition. The deal we had with New Japan was really simple. We had the shirts made for, I'm going to call it five bucks. I'm just picking a number. I don't know what it was. 
whatever the whatever the cost was for you know based on what those shirts were they were only two color shirts they were cheap shirts to begin with even back then i'm sure we were paying 250 to 350 given the bulk that that we were you know producing shirts at we would mark them up to 10 bucks and sell them to new japan new japan would sell them for whatever they could get for it wasn't our business we weren't taking a licensing deal from New Japan because quite honestly, and I think anybody that's ever done business internationally, you know, tracking licensing rights and trying to figure out doing audits and figuring out how much money you really owed every quarter, every month is especially when you're dealing with a company, you know, in, in, in Asia is really, really, really difficult and laborious. And rather than, trying to create a licensing deal with New Japan, which maybe in retrospect we probably should have done given how big the NWO merchandise got. But when we first started the process, we, we didn't have any idea initially. But it seemed easier to us to take our margin right off the top and just ship the shit and let them make as much money as they can. As long as we were making our money, WCW, I didn't care how much money New Japan made at that time. And for us to try to manage the licensing and the royalties and do the accounting and, and have build that process and infrastructure, it would have been a nightmare for us at that time. We didn't have a very sophisticated licensing um, division. In fact, we barely had one at all at that time. So again, Mike's taking a situation. He's reading his own silliness into it. Maybe a little bit of Captain Morgan influenced it. I don't know. But it's just so provably wrong and to suggest that i own 50 percent of a company in japan i mean it's just absurd on its face it, it's just it is it's, it, it, again I, I i'm surprised that this stuff isn't making me angry it just makes me feel bad for mike graham let's get back to it the poster company that they had had for years and years and years bagwell marcus anyway um marcus bagwell and his mother opened a printing company so all of a sudden, who had all the, who had the rights to print all of the print stuff for WCW? Marcus Bagwell and his mother. They had never owned a printing company. And this list went on and on and on because he made the decision. He single-handedly bankrupted WCW all on his own. He put it so far in the shitter that it could never have been bailed out. What was Brad Siegel's role? We did a special with Kevin Sullivan uh, to our exploration of the last few months. Kevin knew a lot more than me. Um, Siegel came in when when Eric had to, Bischoff had to get rid of me because I'm the one that gave him the formula of success. I'm the one that got Hogan in. I'm the one that told him get rid of the clashes and do all pay-per-views. I'm okay, the one stop. that said start doing TV. Stop. I told him. Stop. Oh. Oh, it was all his breathe. idea, Eric. Why won't you just admit it? Breathe, breathe. Okay. Mike, Mike had zero contribution to any, anything, anything that actually mattered in WCW. Zero. Mike Graham was nothing more than a potted plant that everybody got comfortable having around. You didn't notice it when it was there and you didn't notice it when it wasn't there. It was just a thing. In, in terms of Mike Graham's knowledge of and contribution to anything positive in WCW, 
was zip. Now, it's really interesting because Mike Graham and Greg Gagne, who I'm sure is going to come up before this is all over, they were tight because they were very similar. They were both second generations wrestler, second generation wrestlers who never made it, who were living in the shadows of their fathers, who in, through their entire wrestling career were always trying to live up to something that they could never achieve because they didn't have the skills or the abilities or the charisma. So they kind of they they were very they they were like two pieces you couldn't separate them. Bill Dundee was another one. You know they were kind of like the Three Musketeers in, in WCW. Although Bill Dundee, I did like I, I did like Bill's approach to finishes sometimes, but um, Mike Graham is for him for Mike in whatever state of mind he was in to suggest it. He came to me and said, "You got to bring in Hulk Hogan." Are you fucking kidding me? Greg Gagne takes a Greg Gagne takes credit for the exact same thing. I've heard oh, those interviews. Yeah, we're gonna get there. So you know, Mike Graham's taking credit for bringing in Hulk Hogan. So right. is Greg Gagne. I'm sure there are other people who have probably taken credit for it as well. And the truth is, here is the truth. And Ric Flair, I think, will remember this. But when I first started talking to Hulk, Hulk made it clear to me that his biggest issue wasn't money. It was the people that were in WCW. And guess who was at the top of the list of, pe of people that he didn't trust? Who? Greg Gagne was number one. Mm. Mike Graham was number two. Mm. Because they were both so political. They were both two people who were trying so hard to be something that they could never achieve uh, on their own in, in terms of their, 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 their careers in the ring. But they wanted to be that guy. They wanted to be at the head of the table so badly that they would do and say anything they could to, to create the perception that they deserved that opportunity. That was who those two guys were. And it's never been more clear, abundantly clear to me. This is the first time I've heard that Mike Graham's taking credit for coming to me and telling me I got to bring in Hulk Hogan. And oh, by the way, I got to get rid of the clashes and all the other things that we did that Mike Graham is taking credit for is so absurd on its face. And, and, and anybody that's listening to this that may have worked in WCW closely with me at the time knows that. It's just really, really bizarre to me. This is so bizarre. Let's keep it going. We've got a few minutes left in this one. Go to Universal. Eddie Mansfield was there. Eddie blew him off so bad, and I was sitting in his office the day. Did there was steam coming out of Eric's ears because Mansfield was just that way. Who? What? I've never heard of you. And just hung up on him. Oh my God! This was like the second day Eric was in power. So I got. I was Stop. laughing. I got up. I said, Stop. "That's Eddie." You know. I Stop. Okay. I've never. I think I may have had a conversation with Eddie Mansfield. I think he approached me, by the way. Eddie Mansfield was a miserable little fuck in, you know, he's promoting shows in Florida and he, he, he maybe on, on the best year ever may have made 15 or 20 grand tops. I mean, he was, he was a, he was a pimpable on a hamster's ass. And I don't, I, I have nothing against him. I'm just putting this in context. So to suggest that Mike was in my, first of all, I didn't, Mike was never really around me unless we were in a, a large group, you know, a, a booking committee, if you will, or sometimes we'd have executive committee meetings, committee meetings inside of WCW where all the different department heads and some of the people in that department would, would attend. But Mike was not a guy that I ever spent any one-on-one -on -one time with at all because I didn't really like him. He was kind of an obnoxious guy. I just, we didn't, chemistry wise, we just didn't hit it off. And I'm sure he didn't like me much either. 
no harm, no foul there. But for Mike to suggest, if, if this is what he's doing in this interview, that I was trying to get to Universal through Eddie Mansfield is laughable on its face. My relationship with Universal Studios was because of a woman by the name of Molly Miles. Molly Miles was an executive at Fox Network back in 92, perhaps, 93. She oversaw what Fox at that time had a, had a kid's block on their network programming on Saturday mornings, like from 8 to 11. That was the kid's block. All the programming was targeted towards kids, and all the advertising that they were out there selling was geared for that content. And while Bill Watts was still in charge, I had come up with a concept for a live-action um, wrestling show where wrestlers would team up with kids to compete in a variety of different types of physical events. Okay, now this is 92. This is going back a ways. And it was actually pretty cutting edge for 1992. May have been early 93, I don't remember. I think it was 92. And I, Jason Hervey and I pitched that show to Molly Miles, and Fox bought it. Now, we had worked on a really great presentation. We had artwork. We had a mock-up of the, of the venue. And, I mean, we, we put some time and effort into it. It was the first time I had ever tried to sell a television show um, outside of, you know, a concept, at least within WCW. In fact, I don't even think I had tried that at that point. But I, we had worked pretty hard on the show. We went out and pitched, independent of WCW, by the way. It had nothing to do with WCW, unless WCW wanted to supply the wrestling talent that would have been a part of the show. And in the back of my mind, that was that was one of the things I was hoping to achieve before Bill Watts got there. Um, that related, you know, they bought the show. I developed a very close friendship with Molly Miles. She's a, she was she's passed away now. She was a really really wonderful woman. She was probably in her fifties, maybe early sixties when I met her. Um, and we maintained that relationship uh, after Fox bought the show. Now, eventually, you know, ultimately Fox didn't air the show. They bought it and you know, put it into development. And that's the same thing as saying, okay, we're going to put it over here in a closet. If we ever need it, we'll pull it out. Mm -hmm. It's really what we're boiled down to. But regardless of that, we maintained a very friendly relationship. Molly left, Molly Miles left Fox and went to work for Universal Studios in Florida, overseeing all of the production facilities. Molly contacted me based on the conversations and the meetings and the relationship that we had developed based on the kids show and suggested to me, Hey, if you're ever, if you're ever looking, this could work. So I, I and, and she knew that we were doing stuff over at, at MGM, but that all started with Molly miles. It had nothing to do with some fucking used car salesman named Eddie Mansfield or whatever the fuck his name was in Florida. Not, I've never laid eyes on the guy. And I, I, I think, you know, Mike may have mentioned his name and some of the other guys that worked down in Florida Championship Wrestling at, at one point or, or people that were from Florida knew that there, there were things going on with Eddie and Universal. But to suggest, imply, infer, hint or otherwise lead people to believe that I had this conversation with Eddie and he blew me off was, was a fucking joke. Eddie Mansfield would have kissed my ass on the middle of Peachtree Street in broad fucking daylight and brought me flowers if that's what I would have asked him to do. I love you. It takes a little bit for you to get warmed up, but now that you're in the rhythm, 
Let's get back to it. That's that, just Eddie. So I got up to walk out, and I said, Disney's right next door. And he went, oh, yeah, I can just see Mickey Mouse and professional wrestling. A month later, we were at Disney. Because oh, our TV God. shows looked so lousy, there was no people coming to them. Mm. I said, Universal was going to pay Steve Kern and I to do our shows there and feed people from Universal in. We would have a full arena every time we did TV. So, And how did that work, Mike? Hey, Eddie, if you're listening, how the fuck did that work? It didn't. It lasted a minute. Disney, same thing. Guy by the name of Bob Allen had nothing to do with Mike Graham. In fact, Mike Graham was one of, when I first, look, I've talked about this at length, and I'm not going to do it again here because people are tired of hearing the same old shit over and over again, I'm sure. I know I'm tired of talking about it. When I made the decision to stop taking the show on the road to tape, it was because the audiences were so ugly. They were, And by the way, isn't it ironic now that here we are in 2020 and all of a sudden people are starting to really recognize just how important an audience is to a show? It really is. I mean, the audience is the third character and probably in many respects the most important character in any wrestling show, as Elvis Presley once said. Mike had nothing. Mike was one of the people that was against it. Mike didn't like the idea of going to Disney. There was a, Dusty was the only one, and Dusty wasn't a big fan of it originally. Dusty came along after the fact, after the decision was made, and there was no longer a discussion as to if we were going to do it or not going to do it. Dusty got on board, and Dusty gave it 100%. But initially, when I first presented the idea internally to WCW, there was no one other than Bill Shaw and David Crockett that supported it. Two people. Not my own, not my production team, certainly not the talent. Nobody, not Bob Dew, nobody other than Bill Shaw and David Crockett. And Bill Shaw bought into it and saw it because of the economics and because it was so obvious that what we had been doing under the previous leadership combined was just not working. We had to change something. Mike Graham had nothing to do with that discussion and certainly nothing to do with the decision. Let's get back to it. Eric screwed that up because he had to pay to go to Disney instead of anyway, but he went to Disney. He got rid of the clashes. He got Hogan. I had already, I was talking to Terry. We worked out at the same gym out on the beach. And so he had got mad and Vince was having the issues with the drugs, whatever. So I said, you want to do TV, you want to do this. I said, he said, I hate Bill Watts. I won't work for that. No good son of a gun, whatever. I said, I'll take you in to see Ted. Go to work for TBS and let WCW bar you for pay-per-views. Stop, 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 stop. I'll take you in to see Ted. Come on. (laughs) And this is what I mean about a Napoleon complex, about people using these shoot interviews as ways to make them see, and, and Mike wasn't the only one Mike's one of many trying to make themselves sound like they had much more influence and control and what were much more important to what was really going on in WCW and had people just listen to them things would be different that's that's the that's the whole theme of these things but unfortunately it's all it's it's the stories they make up in their own minds to feel better about themselves when they get up in the morning it's the idea 
that Mike Graham could take Hulk Hogan into a meeting with Ted Turner is so laughable on its face. Mike Graham wouldn't have been allowed to get into the North Tower. Mike Graham, <laughs> Ted Turner wouldn't have known who Mike Graham was. It's just silly on its face. And if you're objective and, and it's hard, I think, for people who weren't in WCW, who, who can't see the, the same things that I can see, obviously, because I was there, to really understand the depths of how fraudulent and, and just ridiculous some of these claims and statements are. But if you can just imagine a guy like Mike Graham who was so far down the food chain, the only reason he was there was because of a personal relationship with Dusty. He had no corporate influence whatsoever. Bill Shaw wouldn't take a meeting with him. And Bill Shaw was the vice president of human resources at WCW. Mike Graham would have had to go through a process and it would have had to, he would have been vetted pretty seriously. He would have had to go through a process to even have a meeting with Bill Shaw about business. Now he could have bumped into Bill in, 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 in the food court at CNN center and said, hello, but the, to suggest that, you know, he went to Hulk Hogan and said, let me bring you into Ted Turner. He, he, it's, oh, my God. Okay, let's keep going. We're almost through this one. A couple TVs, a big house show. You don't need to work every night. The Hulkster is a Hulkster. We just need to showcase you. So then I went and talked to Jim Barnett because Jim and Ted were friends. Mm -hmm. And I said, Jim, I need to get a meeting with Terry. So anyway, Terry came up met with with ted so the whole deal is in the oh, making oh, and then okay. I gotta, we, we gotta stop on this is just so fucking ridiculous i'm sorry mike i forgive you but jesus christ you were horrible at this stuff this is just so on the surface of it fucking ridiculous oh my god at the time that Hulk came in, and by the way, there was no Jim Barnett in this conversation. I, I should have gone back when I was talking about Rick and Hulk. When when Hulk said, "Look, you know, we'll work out the money," that's a separate conversation. But my real issues are with WCW as a whole because of the people in it, including Mike Graham, and including others that I'm not going to name here because there's no reason to beat up on them. But the only reason. Had Ric Flair not been in the position that Ric Flair was, because Hulk trusted Rick. Hulk knew that he and Rick could work together and that it was going to end up being good or great or better than great. But he didn't trust Mike Graham because he knew him and, and knew what a two-faced carny he really was. He didn't trust Greg Gagne. He didn't trust Dusty. I, I hate to say that. But it was what it was. He loved Dusty. He looked up to Dusty, but he didn't trust Dusty creatively or the people around Dusty, with Mike Graham being probably one of the, one of the most. Jim Barnett, Jim Barnett was, how do I want to say this? He, he was on a corporate retirement plan. He was paid to show up and be Jim Barnett. Mm. He didn't have any influence with Ted. He did, everybody kind of looked at Jim Barnett as a guy who came along with the package, the original package from Crockett Promotions, a guy who had some international contacts that had some value at the time early on in the 90s. And it was a guy that nobody wanted to fire and nobody wanted to force into retirement. He was a guy that everybody allowed to be there because he was Jim Barnett, not because he had anything to contribute. 
I hate to say that. I really do. Because I like Jim Barnett. I, I mean, I, I realized, you know, Jim was a very, very political and a very savvy political animal. But I had genuine affection for Jim Barnett. I used to love to go in and talk to Jim about anything. And, and least of all wrestling. But about anything else. Because he was just such an interesting cat to talk to. And and you could learn something from him in terms of, you know, what happened back in the 60s and how the international, you know, business had changed and how Australia, which Jim was very involved in, had developed and grown over the years and his role. And I loved hearing those stories. But to suggest that Jim could, you know, somehow unlock the the North Tower and, and get Mike Graham and Hulk a meeting with with Ted is ridiculous. Hulk didn't have a meeting with Ted till long after he was signed. It, it, it wasn't a negotiation between Hulk and Ted. I mean, that's on his face. It's just absurd. Let's keep it moving. And then when Watts got fired and all the stuff was kind of getting ruffled, and then that's the day I went in because Eric called me in. He said, what would you do if you oh. had this territory to run? Hire Hulk Hogan, get rid of the clashes, and go do TV at Disney or Universal. Mm -hmm. Wound up Disney. So he did all those three things. So then... He had to get rid of me so I wouldn't get to the North Tower and let them know that I was the guy. And I I didn't want to do I didn't I didn't want to be in his seat because somebody else always takes that seat. I could have stood in my seat forever. I like being on the road. I like being saying hi to people and being out there and all that. But I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to be there. And uh, so but he didn't he didn't quite understand that. So anyway, and he put himself in a good spot. He made a lot of money or stole a lot of money or however you want to say it. And Eric, I've said that to you a hundred times before. So shame on you. Never said it to my face. And to suggest that I stole money is 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 absurd. Um, I'm, I'm going to go into something here, Conrad, that I, I mentioned to you right before we started doing this podcast. It's a subject that I've never talked about ever talked about because it is so bizarre that it it sounds almost unbelievable but hearing these comments i can understand how the situation happened during the whole aol time warner mostly the time warner this is before aol uh, after the Time Warner merger, probably six months after or so, maybe a little longer, time frame escapes me. Quite a, no, it was, it was quite a ways after. It was about a year afterwards. I got called into Harvey Schiller's office, and there was an attorney there. He was the corporate attorney for Turney. I'm, I'm not going to mention his name because he's, he's actually a friend of mine. Uh, not someone that I socialize with on a regular basis, but someone who I stay in touch with from time to time. Um, he's now with a major, major firm. I think he's a partner in a major firm in Atlanta, which is why I'm not going to mention his name. Um, Harvey called me up to his office, and corporate attorney was there. And Harvey said, Eric, have a seat. And I could tell it was a serious, this was going to be a serious meeting. I, I had no idea what it was going to be about, but I could tell it was a serious meeting. And I'm going to par paraphrase the whole thing. I'm not going to give you the word for word, because honestly, I don't remember it word for word. But essentially... Harvey said, look, Eric, we, we want to let you know for the last several months, you've been under investigation. I said, what? He said, yeah, there had been a complaint to someone at Time Warner, a high ranking official 
at Time Warner, not at, not at Turner Broadcasting, not at WCW, to Time Warner, which is interesting to me, and I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. But as a result of this conversation with this high-ranking executive in Time Warner, WCW launched, Time Warner actually, launched a forensic investigation into not only all of WCW's finances, but into mine as well. Because there had been an accusation by some unnamed, undisclosed person that, for example, I'm going to give you one concrete example that I do remember that I don't mind talking about. One of the things that I remember being discussed as an example was that I would offer someone Diamond Dallas Page, for example, I think it was a very specific one. And that Diamond Dallas Page was kicking back a large percentage of his salary to me. Mm. And this was an ongoing scheme, right? Now, I don't blame a brand new executive at Time Warner for going, what? Are you kidding me? This is a company that we just acquired? merged with and this kind of and by the way wcw was very high profile at the time this is still while we were kicking everybody's ass this was this was i think it was early 98 so the money was still flowing everything was still going great might have been the end of 97 i don't remember the timeline but it 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 it, it was at a time when we were running on all eight cylinders and we were running hard and fast so i understand it but for someone, I'm not saying that Mike Graham was the guy that did it, but for someone to, and, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. There was a whole, you know, and similar to the, the company that I own, and who knows, it might have been Mike Graham, based on this, what I'm hearing, because some of the stuff is new to me, that I owned a music company in Montana, or half of a music company, and was funneling all the ASCAP and BMI rights to my company so that I could take it. That's all fucking news to me, really. But and the, the the merchandise in, in Japan. Now it kind of all makes sense because I never understood how or why someone would say something that would launch this months-long forensic investigation into not only WCW's finances, but my own personal finances as well, to the degree that they could, which wouldn't have been hard to do, by the way. But it's just, and, and when I got to the meeting, and Harvey's explaining what had been going on for months and giving me, cause I asked Harvey, why, why would, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody launch an investigation like that? What evidence, what, what do they have? Why? And Harvey said, well, after the investigation, it proved that it was all false. None of it was true. Well, fuck. <laughs> Great. I guess. But I can't tell you how angry, how disappointed I was to find this out. More angry than anything else. And I felt like I had been so loyal to the, 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 the I had achieved so much. Keep in mind, Mike, Mike Graham and his, you know, all his little band of friends that were running WCW and booking WCW. And Mike Graham had a very heavy hand in booking under Dusty, as well as a, a number of other people. 
The company was failing and floundering and losing tens of billions of dollars. And I took it over in 94. And by 1996, we were rolling in money. By 1997, we made 96 look bad. By 1998, we made 97 look bad. And to, and, and, and to have you know Harvey call me up to his office and say, well, essentially, this is how I took it, Conrad. It's not what he said, but this is how I took it. Well, yeah, we appreciate everything you've done, but we don't trust you. Like, what the fuck? What have I ever done? to deserve this kind of scrutiny without even a conversation. By the way, if they would have come to me and said, look, unfortunately, this incident happened. Somebody cornered a, a Turner exe- or Time Warner executive, gave him this information, and as a result, we're going to have to do this investigation. I would have volunteered. I would have made it easy for him. I would have given him my credit cards and 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 the and the and the and the the uh, pin number to my checking account and all my finances and all my IRS, which I probably were able to get anyway, but all my IRS information. You could follow the money if there was any there, but there wasn't. And and for Mike, you know, and I always pass along. And as I said when we first got into this, I forgive Mike because I, I think he was mentally ill. He was certainly emotionally ill. Um, he was an alcoholic. He he had a lot of demons. And I've dealt with the, with people that had demons like that before, and I can look past it. I, I actually don't hold it against people that are that twisted up by the demons they have to live with. And that's how I feel about Mike. Hearing these things, it makes me angry. It makes me react because I just know how untrue and unfounded and how just completely fabricated they are. And I can't help because it, he is talking about me to react. But I just want the listeners to know I, don't, I forgive Mike Graham. I don't. I feel bad for Mike, but I forgive him because I understand it. But to people that have listened to that, people who have thought that maybe half of it was true, I, I just can't articulate how untrue and and completely false any of things any of these things were and are to this day. And and going back to the meeting I had with Schiller and the attorney that I'm referencing, um, they both looked at me and they were they. They felt worse than I did, but when I walked out of there in 1998, and I've alluded to this, I've never had this discussion with you, Conrad. I've never told you this story before. I've never shared it with anybody but my wife and my attorney because there was a point in time where I was going to take action, um, and, and I wouldn't have had any standing. I, I wouldn't have gone anywhere, but I was so pissed off when I walked out of that meeting that my passion for Turner and WCW evaporated that day. I felt like I had worked so hard and sacrificed so much. And by the way, I didn't make a lot of money. You know, I think there's a perception out there that, you know, I was making millions. Fuck all. I didn't really make any, what I would consider for the role I was in and the success we were having, uh, a fair amount of money until the last two years I was there. I was working like a dog for a fraction of what most of the talent was making. And by the way, most of the, and the talent, excuse me, I was making less than most of the talent that other people had signed before I got put into power was making. But I didn't care about, it wasn't the money. I wasn't driven by the money. I, I love making money. I love the challenge of making money, but Money ultimately doesn't mean as much to me as the satisfaction I get from achieving goals. Goals are more important to me than money. 
money tends to come along with achieving goals. And I try to point myself in that direction and, and not set goals that aren't worthy of my time and energy and don't really benefit my family. But it's the goal that was always the thing that drove me. And to sit in front of, you know, Harvey, who was still you know, relatively new as my boss at that time, and, and a corporate attorney that up to that point, I only knew by name, I didn't know his face and never had a conversation with him, telling me that they've been ripping through my personal finances and, and, and put a, a team of forensic accountants on all of WCW's finances for the previous three years, trying to look for how I was scamming the company, just cut my guts out. I, it really had a it really had a significant impact on me and the way I felt about the company I was working for, which is probably why a couple of months later when I was called to a meeting um, in July of 98, listening to now a group of people who represented, you know, Time Warner and this whole group that thought I was a thief and were going to send a team of forensic accountants to investigate my finances. Now I'm sitting in front of these same people or people that represented them telling me how I'm going to run my wrestling company. You can only, you know me well enough by now, Conrad, you can only imagine, especially if you'd have known me back then, my reaction to that. Mm. It's like, fuck you and everybody in this room. And I, I didn't say that in those words, but when I started picking executives out, that were sitting at that table and embarrassing them in front of their peers because they clearly didn't know anything about my business, my business, WCW's business. They didn't know anything about our history, how we got to the point where we were at in July of 1998, when we were still a huge profit center for WCW. And we're probably getting more favorable press than almost anything else they had on the television network at that time. Um to sit there in front of a group of people that represented a company that didn't trust me and they were now telling me how to run my business. If you could have lived for a moment inside of my head, if you enjoy my rants when I get hot and I'm a little jacked up on caffeine, you should have spent five minutes in my skull then. Well, I'm glad we got to spend 90 minutes with you today, breaking down some old shoot interview stuff. This was episode one of Eric fires back. I don't know when we'll do another one, but I've already got five or six other clips pulled, including some from your old pal, Greg. Uh, we'll probably have a little bit more from Mike Graham, certainly some more from Bret Hart and Jim Cornette. That's going to bring us to a close right now. All right, boys and girls, that's going to do it for us today. Greatly appreciate you being a good sport, letting us throw you some audibles. Hope you enjoyed both of those. I love 1990 WWF. I love pissed off, cocky, arrogant asshole, Eric Bischoff. So today was a good show for me. Hope you dug it as much as I did. And I can't encourage you enough. Again, check out adfreeshows.com. We've got even more great stuff coming your way. Uh, We've been working on some pretty big ideas behind the scenes. And I think you're going to dig what we're putting out. Coming up next, though, don't you dare miss it. We're going to really finally do this Rick the Model Martell episode. It's going to drop sometime this week. I can't promise when we're sort of, uh, at the mercy of someone else. We're doing our best to entertain you. I also want to mention, and I can't believe this is real. We found the original something to wrestle with. Yeah. We've alluded to this before. Bruce Pritchard had a podcast back in like 2009, 10, 11, somewhere in there where we found like, I don't know, a half dozen of these episodes and we're in the process of recovering the rest. We're going to start dripping them out today over at adfreeshows.com. So this is before I knew Bruce. This is when Bruce was no longer with WWE and was trying the podcast thing for the very first time. 
and uh, we get requests for this all the time. Well, it turns out we managed to find some, and it's going to be loaded over at adfreeshows.com this weekend. Check it out. I want to mention to you next week, we're hoping to cover Captain Lou Albano. Uh, we'll have a big plan for you on October the 9th as well. It's going to be about No Mercy 2005. We'll keep the Saturday night's main event hits coming on October 16th when we cover the October 13th, 1990 episode. On October 23rd, we're going to cover In Your House 4. Uh, and maybe the, the low-key sleeper episode of the month, October 30th, we'll wrap things up with Taboo Tuesday 2005. We've had lots of requests for King Kong Bundy because we had him scheduled once before and couldn't get to it. I forget exactly what happened. Maybe someone passed away and I had to call an audible. Either way, uh, we're hoping to bring that one to you on November 6th. But man, our most requested episode since we first started doing the show, this has got to be top five. November 13th. Uh, we're going to pay homage to Eddie Guerrero and that's an unfortunate anniversary. And it just so happens that it's the 15 year anniversary. So stay tuned in November. That's coming your way. We hit a couple survivor series, probably 95 and 05, uh, but our big bonus show in November that we've got planned that we've already started doing research on Andre, the giant. Again, you can get all those shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Until next time, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Our show is at Pritchard Show, and uh, we're out of time. See you soon over on adfreeshows.com. And, of course, next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Sometimes. Hey, you love the show, right? Show off that love with a shirt from BrucePritchard.com or get your gimmick at boxagimmicks.com, the official store of Something to Wrestle. Posters, hats, tumblers, accessories, and more. Boxagimmicks.com. There's no better time to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate Stevensinger.com, and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready for love engagement ring collection. That's no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online, too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home, it's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hello. Good afternoon. Uh, is this Mr. Richmond? I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Yes, it is. Hi, this is Dave Silva. I'm calling from Save With Conrad. Hey, how are you? Doing good, my friend. Doing good. What made you go to Save With Conrad in the first place? Just doing the, the ads on the podcast. My wife and I were in a place where we thought, you know, let's see what we can do and, and check out different companies. And I said, oh, I've got this one. So I went on and, and the rest of the sisters, we, we loved it and we stuck with it and Thankfully, they stuck with us, and, and it worked. That's wonderful. Was there something specific that Conrad said on the podcast that 
kind of helped you make that decision to give us a call or email us? Skip two payments and, and you know, he'll, he'll find you the lowest rates. And, um, and it came at a great time. We actually did it a couple months before Christmas, so we got to have no payments for December, January. So that helped out a lot with Christmas shopping. We've got a two-year-old daughter. So any money that we could have put towards her that we did not have to put towards the house was a good thing. How was it working with Derek? Well, he was great. Uh, sent him an email at like six o'clock at night and he almost immediately called us. And we put him on speaker and we, we hashed out what we needed to hash out. It was just the constant availability was, was great. Do you have any suggestions on how we can improve as a team for any future people we were able to help out? Keep going how it's going. I, everything was going so well and I mean, you guys helped us out so much and, and saved us money and, and it just, it couldn't have come at a better time. So just keep up what you're doing and then thank everybody for all their, their efforts in it. Do you remember how much money we were able to save you? Um, I think overall it ended up being about four or five grand just off the top. I mean, we, we had a credit card that we had run up and we should not have got it to the point that it was at. And we were able to roll that right in with the house payment. So our credit card right now is at zero, which is wonderful. Plus, then we got the two house payments. Plus, um, I think they ended up saving us like $2,500 extra on top of it. So it ended up being a, a significant hit of money to us. So it was it was definitely what we needed at the time. Now, would you recommend us to a friend or a coworker? I already have. Oh, great. That's wonderful to hear. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.